Please, don't be alarmed. We're not going to harm anyone. We're mutants. We're not what you think. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain? They have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. There are forces in this world who believe that a war is coming. We're here to stay. The next move is yours. We'll be watching. Hang on to something. Welcome to Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective Series. Welcome to Mutant High. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. You talk pretty tough for a guy in a cape. Hosted by Jacob. Any power you want to tell us about? I don't, I don't have one. Um, I, I just saw the ad. You're in. Stuart. So dark. You sure you're not from the DC Universe? And Arnie. Everyone calm down. The pros are here. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new movie review. Who will you stand with? The humans or us? These reviews will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Now, let's go get our fuck on. Today we're discussing Deadpool 2. Starring Ryan Reynolds, Josh Brolin, Morena Baccarin, Julian Dennison, Zazie Beats. I so want to be named Zazie Beats. <laughs> I think those are the headphones I'm using. <laughs> TJ Miller, Brianna Hildebrand, Jack Kessie, directed by David Leach. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and kiss me like you miss me, listeners. This is Stuart. And this is Jacob, the host that loves dubstep. So do I. It never goes out of style. But guys, we talked about Avengers ad nauseum. We talked about Avengers. And yet we completely neglected that this is also Deadpool's 10th anniversary. They put out a video on YouTube. I saw something about that. I didn't watch it. Tell me what it's all about. 10 years ago in 2008, they were filming Wolverine Origins. (laughs) And it came out in 09, and here we are 10 years later. Will you finally admit that was a bad movie? I still have fun watching it. Oh, God. See, my wife loves Deadpool, this version of Deadpool. And when she saw that version, I had to explain what was going on. And she was furious. Like, she can't believe they would disrespect Deadpool like that. The Ryan Reynolds stuff in the beginning is the best part of the entire movie about being in an elevator with six guys on a high-protein diet. See, I can still quote that movie. I, it's a fun movie. It's just really bad. You like Ryan Reynolds a lot. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. <laughs> People like Deadpool... I don't know that they like Ryan Reynolds, but it's inarguable. Deadpool is easily one of the most popular superhero movies. Yeah, second highest domestic R-rated film. They'll call it out. Deadpool loves that he's mentioned in the same sentence as Jesus, because Passion of the Christ is number one. Deadpool number two. Ah, that's why they had that joke. (laughs) Overseas, Deadpool is the number one R-rated film, because they don't have religion there. (laughs) Yeah, and I did read Fandango, I think, said this is the highest pre-sale for an R-rated film, so people definitely want to see Deadpool. They kept it low budget. Let's remember, there's been a lot of talk about Deadpool in the two years since Deadpool 1 came out. They announced a sequel before the first one even opened, and the movie blew the hinges off the box office in February. But then there was some talk of some strife behind the scenes. Director Tim Miller parted ways with Ryan Reynolds. And if it wasn't for Tim Miller, we wouldn't even have a Deadpool movie because he's the one who leaked that footage that made Fox decide to give him 50 million. 
but he wanted to go with a more stylish film that would compete with the mega budget superhero movies that would have cost three times as much as the original film. And Ryan Reynolds wanted to keep it kind of scrappy and a little bit more underfunded and raw. And so they only spent 110 million on this. Oh, okay. oh, only 110. You know, I did go back and rewatch the original Deadpool before I saw this one, and I didn't realize it when I saw that the first time that it was only 50 million, but you feel it. Like we talked about some of the problems with the action and that. It just feels small scale. And this one definitely does feel bigger. It feels like they got more money when it comes to the action. Well, this director, David Leach, we have reviewed him several times at this point. We did the John Wick series. I mean, they call out in the opening credits, directed by one of the guys who killed the dog in John Wick. And then we did Atomic Blonde, which was like the female John Wick. We like his stuff. So he definitely brings an action flair. I mean, if you didn't listen to those shows, he's a stuntman. He was a stunt double for Brad Pitt in Fight Club and some other movies, and even did some Jean-Claude Van Damme stunt doubling. And then he and another stuntman decided to get together. They became stunt coordinators first and started that and decided they were going to jump into directing. And because they'd done stunts on The Matrix, they had connection to Keanu Reeves. One thing led to another, and they got John Wick, a franchise that's now the third part is in filming, and there's a TV series coming, so <laughs> not bad for a directorial debut. There was some worry, though. Tim Miller's gone. Would Deadpool lose his flavor? And then there was that short that opened Logan of Deadpool trying to change his clothes while somebody got killed and the true romance theme played. And now... Man, Stuart, when we did Avengers, you're like, oh, if it wasn't for now playing, I wouldn't know what Avengers movie was coming out. I would have to have crawled under a rock and shot myself in the eyes to not know a Deadpool movie is coming. Deadpool is whoring himself out everywhere. Oh my god. I have noticed all your purchases on social media. It looks like you've rebought like half your DVDs because they came out with special Deadpool versions. Of just the covers. <laughs> I did go to Walmart at midnight on a Monday night because they did 16 Fox movies, including Predator, Fight Club, the X-Men prequel trilogy, My Cousin Vinny, <laughs> Edward Scissorhands, Terminator, all with Deadpool covers. And there's a If you turn it over, there's Deadpool holding a sign, I'm not in this movie. <laughs> but I took a picture of just my freaking shopping cart with that and some Mike's Harder Lemonade with Deadpool on it. The thing went viral. Over a million views on Twitter. These covers are exciting. There's TV spots all over the place. There's music videos. Celine Dion with a music video with Deadpool dancing in high heels. He did get me to watch a Celine Dion music video. I will admit that. He's partnered with Espolon Tequila. There's a special tequila package out there. If you go to any 7-Eleven, Stuart, after Avengers, we went to a 7-Eleven. <laughs> There's a Slurpee mutant flavor. It's the first time monster energy drink Slurpees have been available in years. You're saying this guy's inescapable and I have to be drinking tequila at Walmart <laughs> listening to Celine Dion? <laughs> Are you crazy? I missed all of this mega advertisement you've talked about. I don't get into all the marketing, but I do kind of find some delight that it is such weird stuff that they're using to promote them. It, it feels intentional. It's like, why would you spend all your promotion money on like tequila and Slurpees? <laughs> <laughs> and there's actually an ad where they're discussing European football and he says they had to double down on the marketing to compete with Avengers. 
I mean, that's true. To make a noise in the age of Infinity War breaking box office records, they had to do every gimmick. And I did like what one person said on Twitter in response to my cover photo is, we're living in 2018 and Fox's marketing is living in 3018. I mean, they were creative as hell. And they promoted it early. I remember last November, I had to pick up a freaking issue of Good Housekeeping because it was Deadpool telling you how to host a Thanksgiving party. Yeah, the only reason I knew this movie was coming out because I had to cancel my vacation. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's the only reason I knew it was coming out in mid-May was I had it all set up two weeks in the UK and then that fucker moved from June. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Keep in mind, we were supposed to review three X-Men films this year. According to Fox's original schedule, at this point in the year, we would have already reviewed New Mutants. You'd be in the UK and would be looking forward to some Deadpool in June and looking forward to Dark Phoenix at the end of the year. And now Deadpool's the only X-Men movie coming out this year. We know that a deal is more or less... I almost think it's a done deal, but it's not quite. It hasn't gotten approval, but... Comcast could be a spoiler. There could be something to intervene, but by and large, it looks like this Fox wing of the Marvel Universe could get sucked up into Avengers when the Fox-Disney deal is finalized. So what are we doing here? Is Deadpool going to come along with that? Or all of these... X-Men movies, the last of a certain breed before they all become MCU movies? I could see X-Men being pushed into the MCU. Deadpool, maybe he'll have a funny cameo every now and then, but you know, it's like you have your Disney movies and then you have what, like Touchstone or one of their other branches where they could put out R-rated stuff. I don't think Deadpool specifically will ever be in the MCU except for maybe cameos here and there. Let's face it. What does Disney love more than It's a Small World? Money. So if Deadpool 2 makes the money they're predicting, then Disney would be stupid to not continue it and leave it in the hands of Lauren Schuler Donner. Both Kevin Feige and Bob Iger has said there is room at Disney for R-rated Marvel movies. None of the ones they've done so far would fit that. But if Deadpool came over, they would not rule out continuing the Deadpool franchise R-rated. As part of the MCU, though? I imagine he'd be his own little branch. He feels like his own little branch anyway. While he pokes fun at Logan, and while this movie, we do get a glimpse of those second-tier X-Men, I feel that he is in his own Deadpool universe that's a universe where he's watching X-Men films, and he's watching Avengers films. It's more, quote-unquote, real world than any of the others. And let's face it, the X-Men franchise feels like... The only analogy I have is my father who recently died. It feels like my father in the last days where he couldn't stand and was stumbling and falling all over the place. I mean, New Mutants gets pushed out and they're refilming half the movie. Dark Phoenix gets pushed out. They have to do reshoots. And Apocalypse was the first X-Men film that I'm just like, no, absolutely not. That sucks. So I think rebooting it is a great idea. Going to Disney would be a way to both revitalize the Marvel Cinematic Universe now that its heroes are leaving. I'm going to bet money. If I could bet in Vegas, I would bet a grand that Iron Man dies in Infinity War Part 2. Cap probably dies in Infinity War Part 2. They need new names. They've got Spider-Man for a three-picture deal with Sony. But I think bringing the X-Men in, and maybe Deadpool, will reinvigorate Marvel Cinematic Universe in its second decade. 
Yeah, I definitely could see bringing in an X-Men that was closer to the comic, the yellow uniforms, a short Wolverine, all of the (laughs) stuff that they got away from in the Fox version. But Deadpool is tricky because Deadpool's appeal seems singularly to lie on the fact that he will not be put into a PG-13 film. You cannot do that to him. Even his comics, they have what they call Max Comics. It's basically R-rated comics with fuck words and blood. Yeah, I just don't know what you have. You could do it. Of course you could do it. We saw it with Wolverine X-Men Origins. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just not going to work. They had to sew his mouth shut to keep that one PG-13. But there was going to be a Deadpool animated series. Based on the success of Deadpool the movie, they hired Donald Glover and his production team to create a Deadpool cartoon that was going to be an adult-focused cartoon that was is going to air on FX Network. Was this legit? I heard rumors that Glover put out a script just to try to actually sell the cartoon. No, they canceled it. The rumors are, and this is all rumors, they felt it was too black. They were making fun of a lot of things. I mean, Deadpool is irreverent. And apparently there was a Taylor Swift joke that went a little too far, so the network pulled the plug. What the network said is Donald Glover's too busy with his movies, Star Wars, the TV show Atlanta. He's too busy to do the series. And Donald Glover, the day that announced, wrote a script, which was funny as hell. He posted it on Twitter, and it was all about what the Deadpool show would have been while breaking the fourth wall to talk about its own cancellation. And then he ended his series of tweets with, I did that today. Do I look too busy? Hmm. (laughs) So there was going to be more Deadpool than ever. I'm wondering if the Donald Glover connection to Atlanta is how Zazie Beetz got her job in this as Domino. Mm-hmm. And Josh Brolin. I mean, what a year for Josh Brolin. He's Thanos in the biggest movie of the summer. He's Cable in probably the biggest R-rated movie of the summer. And Sicario 2 is looking pretty damn good. Yeah, that is funny to me. It's Josh Brolin. Like, I think No Country for Old Men, Sicario. And we're talking Thanos and Cable now. You think No Country for Old Men. I don't like that movie. So I think Jonah Hex and Sin City (laughs) 2. Oh, that's so wrong. (laughs) Well, I mean, these are not the first two comic book characters he's played. You don't like No Country for Old Men, but you go to Jonah Hex for Josh Brolin. Okay. Well, I hate (laughs) Jonah Hex. I mean, I like No Country for Old Men better than Jonah Hex. (laughs) Slightly. But yeah, he was Dwight in Sin City 2, and... Yeah, I think what you're saying is you're really hyped for this. So hyped, you're excited Josh Brolin is in the movie. But you were so hyped, you bought tickets for the opening you didn't even need, and you gave me one. (laughs) So I went to the double feature so you could get a figurine. Yeah, well, I actually got to see this movie a week in advance. It's rare, but... There was a press screening in St. Louis that was also attended by some fan sites and things. And I looked at my email one day and it said, do you want to come see Deadpool a week early? You have to take an afternoon off work. I was like, yes, please. And there were fans there lining up and some reviewers there lining up. I don't know if they invited me as a fan or as a critic. Either way, I got to see the movie a week early with the most enthusiastic audience you could imagine. It was Just an amazing experience to see. But yes, there was a double feature, seeing Deadpool 1 and 2 back-to-back. That's my kind of marathon. Short. (laughs) So, because they were giving out figurines, Fandango also gave out posters. So I bought two tickets through Fandango, and then just get two extra figurines. 
<laughs> I was very grateful to get the opportunity to see the original movie again for free so close to this new movie because I hadn't been thinking about Deadpool. I guess I might be the only one in this country, but I famously did not really care for the original movie. I was kind of on the fence about it. I think my review ultimately was... It might be funny if it's to your sense of humor, but it's a shitty superhero movie. It's helpful many times when you step away and come back to something. I could see the movie for what it was instead of for what it wasn't. All that I could see the first time I saw the film two years ago was that it did not have a good villain and did not build to a traditional superhero climax that was satisfying. But when I thought about what it did for the love story, I thought it was actually quite sweet and successful. I think the best part about that movie, even though they joke, it was part of the advertisement that it's a Valentine's Day movie and isn't that ridiculous. No, actually, it was a love story. And I do think that it works as sort of a filthy mouth rom-com better than it ever did as a superhero movie. I thought that got that right. And so, yeah, I could probably give it a green arrow. I didn't laugh a lot, but I could appreciate what it was doing with the genre. It was forward thinking. Yeah, like I said, I rewatched that as well, and uh, my criticism still holds up. But yeah, the story structure is just weird because now I realize they just didn't have the money. It's almost like a two-act story with some flashback stuff because that first act would be really boring if they told it in sequence. But yeah, the jokes and the fact that it's a love story. I said my wife was like crying at the end of that movie. She's like, it's so sweet. She still loves him even though he's all ugly and burned up looking. Like my infamous not recommend for Infinity War, at least with these Deadpool movies, I feel something like, oh yeah, that's a love story story here. We'll talk about this one being a story about family. Yeah, we're going to have explosions and a lot of dick jokes, but they do try to get to some emotional core in these films. Yeah, and I thought they got there. The reason why I would flip the arrow is that when you look at it strictly from that vantage point, it does work. It works better than many rom-coms, and I think that's good enough. But what I wanted them to do, and what I'm hoping as I come into this sequel, is to work on the villain. So if it's going to be Josh Brolin, he certainly worked for me in Infinity War, I'm hoping that they can make it an overall more satisfying movie experience by working on the things that didn't work so well in Deadpool 1. And I've seen Deadpool 1 more times than I can count in the past two years. Friends constantly have it on. It was on cable for a long time. I'd turn it on. It was good that I took maybe a six-month break from it, though, because seeing it in theaters again, I found myself laughing out loud in the double feature, and I really did want to compare Deadpool 1 and Deadpool 2, which one did I think would be better? Seeing them back-to-back reminded me of the best parts of Deadpool 1, and yeah, it's a love story, and I love that love story. I think Monica Baccarin is perfect in the role of Vanessa. They're so sweet together. The skee-ball scene, the flirting, the year of sex. I mean, it's just a great relationship movie, but it's also funny as hell from beginning to end. Yeah, and I also think it's helpful to see, I wouldn't have remembered most of the jokes, and it's kind of all jokes, so I wouldn't have remembered the movie very well, but having watched it and then immediately watched the second one, you're also aware of how much they're going to repurpose what they did in the past for this new film. 
Well, that is what I wanted to see as well. Are they just going to repeat jokes? Like, those are the worst kind of comedy sequels where it's just like, hey, we're going to do the same jokes again because you laughed last time. I was a little bit worried about that, and I guess we'll talk about it as we get into it if that happens. Yeah, that is always why I've I've been very harsh. It's kind of why I advocate we don't do comedy series because I do not feel like that genre does well with sequels because usually it's just a victory lap of saying, hey, remember when we did this? Oh, Come on. Caddyshack 2, Crocodile Dundee 2. Wait, I'm proving your point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's never do Police Academy. I just cursed us. We're going to do it next week, probably, because I said never. (laughs) Three men and a little lady. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that one might have worked. Ted Danson had that cool green jacket. Because she was a baby the first time, and now she's a little lady. A whole new avenue for jokes. It's a totally different film. Look who's talking now. The dogs talk. <laughs> I actually would love to see that. I actually would love to see the desperation. It's actually the best of the franchise. <laughs> oh, no. Well, let's see if Deadpool 2 is the best of the franchise. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We'll get into it. It's been a couple of years since the first Deadpool film, and our anti-hero Wade Wilson has been traveling the globe, killing the worst criminals, but always returning home to the love of his life, Vanessa. And they've even decided to have a child. And according to an interview I saw with Miranda Baccarin on Good Morning America, Vanessa is his fiance at this point. We saw them get engaged last time. I was curious if they were married, but fiance. But there's a reason most heroes have secret identities, because otherwise a criminal can come to your house and kill your family. And that's just what happens as Vanessa is killed by a criminal Wade failed to fillet. The guy came to get Deadpool, but the bullet went wide. Even though Deadpool catches and kills Vanessa's murderer, he's left in mourning, even trying to kill himself, though his regenerative powers make it impossible. So the X-Men member Colossus takes Deadpool to the X-Mansion to regrow his body parts and to recover his spirit. As an X-Men trainee? On his first mission, though, things go sideways. He, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, and Colossus... Go to stop an out-of-control mutant. Julian Dennison plays Russell Collins, an orphan living at the Essex Mutant Rehabilitation Center where he's been repeatedly tortured. Now, wanting to be known as Firefist, yes, that's a real comic book X-Men name, Firefist. I had to look that up because it felt <laughs> it like did. a joke. The boy wants to take revenge with his flame-shooting arms. Deadpool does calm the boy, but when he finds out Russell has been tortured, Deadpool kills one of the school's orderlies, and both Deadpool and Russell are arrested, fitted with collars that turn off their mutant abilities, and sent to mutant prison, the Icebox, where they would have stayed had it not been for Cable, a mutant cyborg from the future played by Josh Brolin. In Cable's future, Russell has become a mass murderer. Cable is a hunter who tried and failed to stop the flamethrower, and Russell killed Cable's wife and child in revenge. Cable was able to use his technology to travel back in time to this moment, when Russell was about to make his first kill. Deadpool, not knowing Cable's motivation, tries to save the boy, but in the fight, both Cable and Deadpool are thrown from the prison, and Russell is left inside where he makes friends with the biggest mutant in the place, Juggernaut. To stop Cable and save Russell, Deadpool puts together a team he calls X-Force, including Lucky Mutant Domino, played by Zazie Beetz, Alien Warrior Shatterstar, played by Shioli Katsuna, Acid Spinning Zeitgeist, played by Bill Skarsgård, Invisible Vanisher, played by Brad Pitt, <laughs> yes, that Brad Pitt, Strongman Bedlam, played by Terry Crews, and Regular Guy Peter, played by Rob Delaney. <laughs> But due to high winds, everyone but Domino and Deadpool are killed while parachuting to intercept a convoy with Russell on board. 
Russell escapes with the help of Juggernaut, and Cable realizes he must join forces with Deadpool and Domino to stop the boy. But he agrees to give Deadpool 30 seconds to try and bring the boy back to the light side. And Deadpool gets help from Colossus, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, and Negasonic's girlfriend, Yukio. The showdown comes at the school where Russell and Juggernaut have gone to kill the Headmaster. Juggernaut and Colossus fight it out while Domino goes to rescue the children, and Cable and Deadpool try to stop Russell. It seems impossible to change the boy's mind until Deadpool puts on the collar and sacrifices himself, taking the bullet Cable fired at Russell. Deadpool dies, but Cable goes back in time to replay the events and save Deadpool's life, and Deadpool realizes he has a new family with these mutants as credits roll. So, the movie begins then with a reference to Logan. We see Deadpool in his apartment. Air Supply is playing. I'm like, oh crap, Vanessa's dead. I wondered how they'd handle Vanessa in this movie. She was in the trailer saying, kiss me like you miss me, Red. I knew she was in the movie. But superhero girlfriends do not have a lot of longevity when it comes to franchises. And because that last film was such a love story, the fact that we open up with Deadpool suicidal, yeah, that's telling me, oh, something bad happened to the girlfriend. Right. It's also telling me they're following the structure of the original movie. It, that movie had fun playing with the timeline a little, Pulp Fiction style. And here, they're teasing the idea. What could make our character go to this extreme? If we, in fact, believe him and he's not just riffing on Hugh Jackman once again, what would make him want to die like Logan? What I do like is they always say things that sound like a joke, but then it's true. He's saying at the beginning, oh, yeah, Logan, you rode my coattails to an R rating and then you die. <laughs> well, watch, I'm going to die this movie, too. And what was so funny, I don't know if you saw this, but I know the Russo brothers put out a thing before Avengers saying Thanos demands your silence. Please don't spoil this film. So, of course, Ryan Reynolds does something similar, saying, please don't spoil this film that Deadpool dies in it. Uh, maybe. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Like, they play that whole joke. And yeah, Deadpool is going to die. I'm like, I wonder if that might actually be true, because it's Ryan Reynolds. He could be spoiling the film. I felt spoiled, even though I hadn't watched much before any of this, and I didn't know anything about Cable. But in between the two movies at the double feature, Deadpool makes a joke about nobody can understand Cable's backstory, something about time travel. That's very true. As soon as he said time travel, I was like, okay, well, it doesn't really matter what we say. They can erase. Well, so you agree with me with Infinity War then, because that's the same problem there. <laughs> time travel. I'm not going to agree with your negative review of Infinity War, <laughs> but I do agree that, yes, once you introduce that concept, it takes a lot of the suspense away. And so do your worst here as he's blowing himself up. And as you know, we're going to find out, yes, it's heavily hinted. It's not told in this opening scene, but just by cutting to photos of the couple in happier times, we can only presume that Vanessa has met some ill end. Yeah, I talked to somebody at work who saw Deadpool opening night, and he's like, can you believe the shock when they killed her and the bullet hit her? I'm like, have you never seen a movie before? Because if you don't realize <laughs> she's dead from this opening, you're not paying attention. And the thing is, okay, I know that she's going to die. It's still got an impact on me because I like that relationship. I like these characters, even though I might not laugh at every joke. I like these characters. I like their naughty, sexy relationship that's been going on. So, yeah, it's sad to see this character go when she gets hit. 
Yeah, I'm going to second that. I think the strongest thing about this movie is still this relationship, which is sad because it's not going to be in this movie very long. <laughs> but the idea that they're going to build on that and make a theme of this film for many of the characters being continuing a family, starting a family, losing a family. Yeah, I'm really excited for them. I want Deadpool to mature. I want Wade to grow up. I don't like the fact that he's a 50-year-old adolescent who makes dirty jokes and doesn't take responsibility, doesn't want to be a hero. I like the idea that he starts to care about someone else, and that could mean even caring for a child and a family. First of all, he's only 41 years old, so way to make me feel freaking old. <laughs> Second of all, they wanted the sequel to be Deadpool with a child, but they only got a couple pages in to realize that really didn't work. But I do like this impetus, and I'm upset with how they refrigerate Vanessa in this film. I really am. I'm not one to call out the fridging trope. I'm actually only calling out that trope because I like Vanessa and Deadpool so much, and I like Baccarin in this film so much that... I am so upset that they killed her and couldn't do something else. Yeah, shove all those women in refrigerators unless I like them. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> I wouldn't use the language of the trope, but I really liked their relationship together. There's one line she has in this movie that is just adorable when he's like, you go get the strap on. Let's make a baby. And she's like, <laughs> a super baby. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's how it works, but we'll try. I mean, just the way she delivers that line and kiss me like you miss me, Red. There you have the best relationship in superhero movies that I think I've ever seen. So that they kill her, it undoes what I loved about the last movie. I think the first movie has more heart. I know this one's about Deadpool trying to find a family, but this one doesn't work as well for me because the last one was really about the love of your life. I can't even imagine that'll be a debate. It's obvious. You can't tell me the family he's going to inherit has any of the same heart as this relationship. No way. No. Oh, not about this relationship, but when they start talking about a baby, I'm like, oh, this is going to be about Deadpool having to mature. I don't know what level he'll mature to. Instead of a 12-year-old, maybe he'll go to the maturity of a 15-year-old having a kid. But I do like this conceit. And it, yeah, it tells me right away, oh, because I know there's going to be this kid mutant in this film. This is going to be his adopted son. That's going to be his surrogate kid as soon as Vanessa is killed. I didn't quite figure where this was going. I did remain spoiler free. I'm so glad I did because this movie does have twists and surprises in it. I think the don't spoil Deadpool meme that Ryan Reynolds did that you mentioned, Jacob, is true because a lot of this fun comes with the things you don't expect. And I didn't expect going in, well, I kind of did that they'd kill Vanessa. I was hoping they wouldn't. But yeah, he blows up at the beginning. We get the montage of him being a superhero. He's going across the world, killing people because they're bad people. Yeah, I was confused by that. I felt like we needed to spend a little bit more time on that. What changed to make him want to do that? He's just still a mercenary. He's got superpowers now, and he's using Deadpool to continue that mercenary work that he was doing. But I, I never felt that like he was going and doing the research like Batman to find Yakuza and drug lords. Well, what I would say is every time you see him in this opening montage, it's him alone. You don't see him taking payouts. You don't see him getting a phone call or orders or getting instructions. He's got those cards, though, from the first one. Like, they would get those gold cards when they got a hit. I mean, he's tossing those at people. You are right. There is the line, whatever they're paying, I'll double it. I guess maybe it is his job. They're playing Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. 
They don't feel like they have to say one way or the other. If you like the fact that he's a merc with a mouth, that's what he still is. Or if you wanted him to be more heroic, they certainly look like bad people. We see Chinese triads, Yakuza go down. I'm not sure what the rednecks in the strip club are doing. I don't either, but I know what the Sicilians are doing because we just finished watching The Godfather. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was fun to pop out of the casket. You know they're all gathered there. They did set us up. I mean, this last guy, the Sergei, I guess he's a drug dealer. I'm not really quite sure, but I love the scene of him running for his panic room while in the background out of focus, Deadpool is like chainsawing people and there's a guy on fire. Yeah. It looked like a meth factory or some like lab where they were making coke or meth or illegal drugs of some kind. They referenced this as home sweet home. Where does Deadpool live? Do we know? All of this is filmed in Vancouver. Yeah, I'm assuming in the comics, New York, because that's where everything in the Marvel Universe happens is in New York. Okay, didn't feel like New York. It kind of felt like anywhere. Yeah. I think they were intentionally vague, but don't forget the X-Men are in upstate New York. True enough. Yeah, that would make sense. They're at least on the East Coast. Wherever it is, we see Wade return home to Vanessa. He's a little bit late, but those two are still a really, really happy couple. And- It's also sweet. Marjorie and I had our first date at a casino, and years later, I gave her one of the casino tokens that they didn't even use anymore because they've all gone to tickets, but I had one of those casino tokens. Here, he gives her one of the skee-ball tokens from their first date on their anniversary, and she gives him what I thought might have been a mini crossbow. (laughs) Yeah, it's not a bomb. It's an IUD. I didn't know what they looked like, but I did know what they were when she said it. I'm going to make a guess here. That when he makes the point that Yentl's Papa Can You Hear Me is identical to Frozen's Let Me Build a Snowman or whatever it's called. Isn't it a way of acknowledging uh, how much they're repeating the first movie and we should be okay with that? It's okay to do the same thing again. I thought they were just making fun of Disney because Disney might own Fox. Actually, they were making fun of Disney. Ryan Reynolds just discovered this on his own because he has a kid who's watching Frozen over and over and he's like, I know that song from somewhere and he wanted to expose Disney and he had more Disney jokes that were harsh on Disney and at the 11th hour a Fox exec made him take them out but he was skewering Disney well he ought to be careful about razzing people for reappropriating because having just seen the movie minutes before Deadpool 1 is throughout this film like they even have a line of that's not Star Wars that's Empire I mean almost everything said is a callback and I just thought wow you think We don't know? Like, we just saw the film. I do know that there were callbacks when he crawls into the front of Dopender's taxi again. I'm like, oh, they did that joke in the first one at the very beginning when he was in Dopender's taxi. But by the same token, I think he's just poking fun at Frozen the same way they rightly skewer DC when he's like, I was fighting a caped badass and I discovered his mom's name is Martha too. Yeah, well, as we go through the film, I'll keep hitting this note, probably. But at a certain point, I sat back and went, wow, you're just not going to do anything different, are you? Well, the fights certainly feel different. I can definitely feel Leech's involvement here with these fights. We get so many at the beginning. And John Wick was just so good with the gun-fu, where they're not just shooting, but there's guns involved with the martial arts. Leech is bringing that here. I think it's never showcased better than when he's at his house and Sergei's people come in, and he grabs the only thing he can get, which is the knife block. 
He's stabbing people while blocking with the block, stabbing people in the groin. Just It's almost like a less funny Jackie Chan kind of fight. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about is the way that Jackie Chan, not that I, again, I've never seen a Jackie Chan movie, but I've seen <laughs> moments of his fights. I mean, you know, a clip here or a clip there. I get how he can take everyday objects and it becomes almost like a comedy bit. And yeah, it was fun to watch him do this. But because he didn't think that the cream cheese spreader was sharpened, he didn't throw the last knife. And that meant that there was one more goon with a bullet. Well, he didn't see the guy coming. He thought he took them all out. And he relaxed for a moment and Vanessa stood up from behind. The fact that he threw the cream cheese spreader is what made the bullet miss. He would have shot Deadpool. He wasn't trying to kill Vanessa, but he was thrown off by the cream cheese spreader coming at him as though he misfired. That's why it's his fault. I, look, I understand why people can feel guilty for about things that happen that are bad to them. But are we to ever believe that he is responsible? Because I do not. I do not blame Wade for this. If your line of work is killing bad guys and you didn't kill one, but you destroyed his whole factory, you did sloppy work there. You should have finished the job. So I can see why he blames himself. I mean, he's doing dangerous work. He should be taking better precautions to make sure that doesn't come home to affect him. The guy got into a safe room and, but you know, he was being a good responsible partner. I'm coming home for the anniversary. To me, that shows that he's making room in his life for Vanessa. So yeah, I agree. He could have taken an extra 10 minutes and killed the guy and, <laughs> and maybe not endangered her. But I just don't see this opener. If we are to feel his remorse and share it with him, uh, that I don't get. I get how he feels when he jumps out that window to chase this guy and he grabs him and it's like, oh, he's hugging him. That's weird. Just so he could spin around and throw them both in front of a bus to kill him. That tells me, oh, he's gone dark now. He's like suicidal. Hugging him, I thought it was weird, but now I... Think of it like, and it's again, because we just saw this, when Pacino kisses Fredo it's the in kiss Godfather 2, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> you have wronged me so badly that I'm going to do this to you. And when they step in front of that truck and it just leaves the blood smear, it's funny in a Deadpool way, but yeah, it is darker than I expected Deadpool to go. As for him blaming himself, I don't think it was Deadpool's fault, but I believe he believes it. And yeah. That's all I need to do is that he is having the guilt because he has this mercenary life. And I think they're betting on the audience feeling this darkness as well. Like, talking about the jokes, we're going to go to opening credits. Deadpool's just blowing himself up when we're doing this James Bond-style opening number with him. But instead of the writers, the real heroes here, it's all about, like, what the fuck just happened? Can you believe we just killed Vanessa? Like, what is going on? Again, they're going to repeat that joke, but I like that they're addressing what's happening in this film if they're going to repeat such things. They put a little new spin on it. Celine Dion's never done a Bond theme, but this could be one, I mean, especially from the Daniel Craig era of Bond, this song Ashes. Is it because she's Canadian? There is a running joke in this movie that there's knocks on anything Canadian. I, I don't get it, I guess is what I would say. Like, okay, yeah, you're doing the James Bond thing. What does that have to do with your movie? I mean, this is something Austin Powers would have done 20 years ago. The reason it was Celine Dion, maybe she did it because of the Canadian connection, but they said, when was the last time there was really a big movie theme that impacted? And 
they came to My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. And so they decided to reach out to Celine Dion. And what happened is in the first movie, they reached out to a lot of people to do stuff for Deadpool. And they said no, either for the money or just not wanting to be associated. But then after Deadpool blew up at the box office, now people were asking them, can we be part of Deadpool? Is this an original song by her? It's an original song for the movie. I don't know if she wrote it or if they had it written and just gave it to her to sing. Yeah, she doesn't write her stuff. It is eligible for an Academy Award then. So we could actually, if Suicide Squad can win an Academy Award, Deadpool 2 can. I think that they're taking this moment seriously because the song about ashes, rising from the ashes, I went and read the lyrics, you know, it's about the phoenix dying and rebirth. It's integral to the theme of this movie and i think that yes the jokes are the credits which get really unfunny after the why'd you kill her cinematography by blind al that is not funny although the audiences both times did laugh at directed by one of the guys who killed the dog and john wick but i find the credits to be a lazy retread of last time would you say that's lazy writing I probably would, Cinematography by (laughs) Blind Al. However, the first movie had a really stylized opening credit sequence where it was this 360-degree pan zoom of a car mid-flip and a guy with the cigarette lighter in his mouth. And here, I just think they're going to do stylized, artistic, computer-generated things. I mean, we start with what looks like a spirograph of cream cheese spreaders, and it goes from there. I thought this was a well-done opening sequence, and it fits the mood of Deadpool suicide. All I'll say, I'll leave it at this, is I feel like Ryan Reynolds is showing his age. He is making parodies of things that are from his reference, and James Bond and Celine Dion, while we know what that is, and we know what they're parodying, says nothing to, like, a youth audience. Well, you know what? I ain't gonna go watch Harry Potter, so you 20-year-olds don't get these jokes. We're even there. (laughs) After the credits, Deadpool is in pieces. It's going to be a theme of the movie. Last time we got the tiny hand growing back, and here he's all over the place. Colossus comes in, and I guess Colossus is Deadpool's BFF? Yeah, this was stuff that did not age well from the first movie. Like, I remember thinking it didn't work there, watching it a second time. This stuff's awful. Every time he's hanging out with Colossus and the other chick awful movie no i like this because it is showing you what's so different about deadpool and i I think you had that relationship in the first one they're gonna carry over the jokes here where colossus he's the boy scout he's got the whole manual about what x-men can and can't do and he won't say the f word and he won't kill i don't see this as a repeated joke so much as this is his character this is who colossus is is that boy scout they never make the same jokes as last time it's just character-driven humor. And I'm laughing when he's in the X-Mansion and saying that Cerebro Helmet smells like Patrick Stewart and he's taken Xavier's wheelchair for a ride. But they did repeat the joke of, what, Fox won't throw us a bone and have a real X-Men here? And of course, the punchline here is different. All the X-Men are there. They just don't want to talk to Deadpool. Beast closes the door. Right. And he's so self-involved that they can't see it. Do they have McAvoy there? I noticed Beast and I noticed Quicksilver. Seeing it twice, the first time, that's all I noticed was Nightcrawler, Beast, and Quicksilver. Quicksilver was the only white dude I recognized and then two blue people. On the second viewing, my eyes were going. Yes, McAvoy was there, Storm was there, Cyclops was there, 
but I thought it looked kind of fake. I was wondering if it was green screened. It was green screened. I read it was, yeah. They were filming Dark Phoenix at the same time, but in a different location. So they filmed Deadpool against a green screen. And then Simon Kinberg, who's directing Dark Phoenix, shot the door closing scene. I thought they might have actually been there. I mean, they're actually filming at that mansion in both cases. I just don't think that the X-Men are a good foil for this guy. You can say they're all mutants and that he could join them, but it always feels awkward when he's hanging out with them. I think that's the point, is that the X-Men are so straight, and then you're going to throw in crazy X-rated Deadpool. Well, yeah, well, that would be buddy cop formula, but I'm not sensing this is a great buddy cop because they're so different and they have to work together on the same case. It's like, oh, Deadpool now has to get back into franchise mode because we need to build on him when I feel like the characters he's more comfortable with and play off are the cabbie, are the bartender, are his lover. Those are the people, the blind old ex-roommate. Those are the ones that work for me. When he's got to hang out with Colossus, it's awful. I do like the callback. See, this isn't a repeated joke. It's a callback when he goes to Blind Al's apartment. And he told her in the last movie that if he died, stash in that house was a bunch of cocaine and the cure for blindness. And what's under the sofa? I noticed the cure for blindness there. Yeah. <laughs> Blindness. That's so mean. <laughs> and Weasel, TJ Miller. TJ Miller's not having a good time. He's the anti-Josh Brolin. I know they want to do a... Uh... Kevin Spacey, Christopher Plummer, him out of this film, like they did with all the money in the world. Really? Yeah, he got some sexual allegation charges. He got arrested for calling in a bomb threat. While on an Amtrak. But yeah, and I guess the producers are like, nah, we're done editing it. We're not reshooting anything. The only people calling for it were a minority of people. The allegations are not recent. They're back from his college days. He is not a college age. Yeah. But he was removed or quit his TV show. Silicon Valley, I noticed they got rid of him. Yeah, and Ryan Reynolds wouldn't comment, but did say that T.J. Miller will not be in the next movie they do, X-Force, so... Mm. I don't know if Ryan Reynolds is poking fun at social justice warriors when he's going around the X-Mansion, he's like, oh, just a bunch of dead old white guys up in this place, and he'll have some racial humor later. I don't know if that's supposed to be commenting on the social climate that got T.J. Miller in trouble, or... T.J. Miller got in trouble after this was filmed. And they're not anti-social justice warrior jokes, they're just jokes at white guys' expense. I mean, he went on Stephen Colbert and Colbert said, us late night talk show hosts are like superheroes. And Ryan Reynolds said, because you're all mostly white guys. <laughs> I mean, it's just... <laughs> so that's just a sense of humor then. Yeah, it's just poking fun at the status quo. In my estimation, and kind of part of my problem with Deadpool, is that he'll make fun of anybody or anything and that he really doesn't stand for anything. He has no integrity. He's just, I mock everything. I can tell you what he does stand for is Yukio. <laughs> Yukio, who plays the girlfriend to Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I just love, like, every time she shows up. And yes! Again, it's kind of like an Asian-Japanese stereotype, but he's like, oh, Yukio, hi! And she's so delighted to see Deadpool. You guys need to help me remember, because I read one article online that said this is the first openly LBGT relationship in a comic book movie. I know that's not true. I've seen Scott Pilgrim, but then somebody else in a different site said the first LBGT in a Marvel movie. 
I think that's true, isn't it? Like, Blade, X-Men, none of them. I like that they didn't make a big deal out of it. I would argue, because it's so not a big deal, why is this even in here? Why did this character even come back other than to make a statement? Good on you, but if you give you nothing to do, then it's just an empty platitude. What I know is they wanted to bring back the heroes from the first one, which meant Colossus and Negasonic. I think this is the only thing Negasonic gets to do, really, is to make fun of Deadpool being a trainee and to have a girlfriend. It's the closest we get to character exploration for her in two movies. It reinforces the theme that with a partner, you're happier. We see that Wade is clearly happier with Vanessa. And here was, in the last film, a character that never smiled, that was always so grumpy, that didn't know how to be any other way than opposed to everything. And here... She's let her hair grow a little bit longer. She gives a little bit more of herself, of being happy. And I think that's a struggle for her. So that was kind of nice. But again, why not use these characters if you want to bring them back? They barely factor into this. I think this movie has a real struggle trying to find someone that can hold the screen with Ryan Reynolds. Cable does it. This is the moment we're introduced to Cable in the future, wearing, it looks like an extra bodysuit from The Running Man with Arnold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... He's in a charred out building. We're going to find out this is his house and his wife and daughter are dead there. We see two charred corpses, picks up a teddy bear and travels back in time. Cable is your grounding force and Josh Brolin matches Ryan Reynolds in screen presence here. Well, I'm going to say I don't like Cable, ultimately. In the beginning, it's fine. They tease him for a whole long time. And in these early scenes, he certainly has a presence. I love when he comes back in time. There's the two rednecks on the truck talking about ass wiping using a baby wipe. And I find that very funny. But I'm looking at the guy on the right, and I'm like... That looks like Tucker from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, a movie in our book. But it can't be Alan Tudyk. That actually is Alan Tudyk as the redneck. I love that I can think of this movie as like being in an extended universe with Tucker and Dale. And the other guy with them's a brunette. I really wondered if it was Tyler Labine. Well, the other one is Matt Damon. Yeah, I never got that. And he's not credited as Matt Damon. I looked into the end credits to see if it was Tyler Labine who played Dale. I found out Tyler Labine was in Generation X, but no, not here. It is Matt Damon. And he's credited as Dickie Greenleaf in the end credits. And I'm like, so who the fuck is Dickie Greenleaf? It's one of the names he used in Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm -hmm. So that was Matt Damon talking about using baby wipes to be nice to your rectum. First Thor Ragnarok, now this, he's going to be the new Stanley of the Marvel Universe. That's why it's here, because they're not going to cut Matt Damon, even though it's not funny at all. Oh, I felt this was like a takeoff on Terminator, whenever Arnold would come back and have to go to the redneck bar to go get his outfit. That, I believe, but I also know that initial test audiences wanted more cable. They did reshoots with more cable, and Anytime I see a scene like this, or I see him in a hotel room just looking into a mirror, I feel like those were the reshoots. Yeah, we want more cable. That doesn't mean more brooding. I wanted to know more about this guy. I wanted to see him do more. I wanted to get him more. And, you know, at least with Thanos, we have another movie to hopefully explore that. Here, another underserved part for Brolin. He's sticking around. He's stuck in time with Deadpool now. And Brolin signed a four-picture deal. He has a character arc that's going to encompass four movies. So what we're seeing here is the beginning of it, but each film is going to further 
further deepen the character of Cable. I was surprised they didn't get into his parentage in this film. I don't know what you're referring to, but they did trick me because, for one thing, Guardians Volume 2 was on my mind watching this. That's because they're wearing yellow jumpsuits in prison and playing the Pina Colada song. I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's the same musical composer for both films. But when we saw those early scenes of Wade saying, I never knew my dad, that they would tell us Cable was his dad. I thought that they were leading us to that trope. No, I knew Cable is Cyclops' son with Madeline Pryor. Who is the clone of Jean Grey. Yeah, later on we're going to see Pryor's ice cream truck. That's a reference to Madeline Pryor, Cable's mom. This is well established, and he talks about his daughter Hope, and Hope Summers is a major character. Yeah, she became a big deal, yeah. So his relationships are very well established, and something I like about Deadpool is it's the only Fox movies that really feel like they're staying close to the comic book material the way the Marvel movies do. They bravely wear the outfits despite the fact that wearing red, white, and blue would be silly. Colossus looks like Colossus and talks like Colossus. And here, Deadpool's wearing the red leather and Cable is got the biomechanics. I just really feel like it's a comic book come to life again. Yeah, the fact that Negasonic just has a straight up like yellow and black X-Men uniform. Like, like Thor Ragnarok, I just appreciate the Deadpool crew feels like they could just embrace that comic book aesthetic more. And, and I like that being a fan of the artwork and the comics that, yeah, let's just go for that goofy stuff. I love later on when they're making fun of Domino's power. Who came up with that super Power, somebody who probably couldn't draw feet. And yeah. That's a poke at Deadpool creator Rob Liefeld. Okay, so what you're telling me in lots of ways is the more that you know the comics, the more you're prone to giggle at inside jokes. Yeah, and there's a lot of inside jokes here. I mean, they bring back the character named Liefeld, otherwise known as Fat Gandalf. He's going to give Deadpool some self-help advice at Sister Margaret's. Yeah, they bring back a lot, and what do they get for it? My big complaint with this film is how often they keep running back to the original film to go, hey, remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? Or characters just have continuity and show up again. I mean, you can look at this one of two ways. I don't feel many jokes are repeated. You know, like when Weasel, Deadpool's going to go, okay, do your thing. And, you know, he starts making his gross analogies. I just feel like that's the character. You could say they're just repeating the jokes, but I think that's just the character as he does really gross analogies to describe something. Yeah. It's not just that, oh, they're being consistent with who these people are. They're literally doing the same beats again. And having just seen the movie, again, I was shocked at how many times they did it. It was almost every minute. I disagree. I think you're just seeing the characters being the same characters and calling that a repeat. But I think that this really takes a turn at the 30 minute mark. The first 30 minutes is killing Vanessa and getting Deadpool through his grief. But then he gets his X-Men trainee mission and we go and meet Russell at the Essex House for Mutant Rehabilitation. This is really weird because, okay, Julian Dennison... He was in a film, Hunt for the Wilder People. He plays a very similar character in The Hunt for the Wilder People, where he's kind of this wannabe gangster that has to go to this foster family out in the bush and has to learn that pretending to be Tupac doesn't help you survive out in the wilderness. And I, I feel like he's got a similar arc here where he's wanting to be a tough guy as Fire Fist. They undersell it, but they also are trying to get at something that's very topical right now, which is like school shootings and kids that come back mm -hmm. and 
take care of the problems that they had when they were bullied. Yeah, we just had one in Texas, and I was thinking that as I watched this. Like, that was very on my mind. Absolutely. I don't even know that they downplay it per se, but yet, I suppose... Nobody wants to ever remember that the shooters are often the victims of bullying. That's often what pushes them. And here, Russell isn't just bullied, but in fact, being tortured by his teachers and the staff at the school. But I didn't expect this to be a major plot. I thought this would be a one-off thing. I knew Cable was going to be major. I thought the movie might just be Deadpool with random mutants. That Russell is going to actually be the heart of this film and the villain of this film? The villain is not Cable. The villain is Russell. I like this. This is one of the better comic book movie villains we've had. I would argue that I don't even know if Russell's really the villain. He goes to the Essex house for mutant rehabilitation, which I know Essex, that has something to do with Mr. Sinister and the X-Men universe. You know, if you're talking about who does the bullying and who creates or pushes people that might have a certain psychological profile to do bad things... It's this Essex house where, you know, we talk about the last stand where they had those darts to take away your powers. Now they got schools here. They're going to have collars that take away your powers. It's very different than that X-Men universe. Actually, this is where I feel like we've dipped our big toe into the X-Men universe. The anti-mutant hatred, the fact that we're going to see flashbacks of the headmaster and there's a big banner above him, mankind, not mutants, and that they have prisons for mutants and they do have power null Fine collars. I feel like in those X-Men movies, they always wanted to go there, like Stryker or whatnot. The X-Men always stopped them from getting that far. Here, though, yeah, they are locking up people just for being mutants. Well, the school is, but the school, it seems to me like one of those pray the gay away kind of places. Yeah, gay conversion. Yeah, what is up with Eddie Marson in this film? Like, they shave the top of his head so he looks like he's balding. It's very disturbing looking. Oh my god, I did not recognize him. I couldn't believe that was him. I knew him because of that face, but I'm like, oh man, what is this? hairdo they've given him. I do wonder where they found such a perfect looking molester guy. I mean, the fact that he had the secret sex lips and the guy just looked like it. He looked... Did they put that in the description when they're advertising for the role? Must look like child molester? <laughs> he looked like Dylan Baker from Happiness to me. I'm just like, you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> cast a better molester. I'm gonna halt the brakes on the comedy here and just say, too many molestation jokes. To me, the rule of comedy is you go blue when you're desperate. When you're like, oh, this is not working. Let's make a joke about a child giving blowjobs in prison. I mean, there's some really crass shitty jokes in this film and they go to that well a lot i mean Stuart, you're saying that they're repeating a lot of jokes they do this in that first deadpool when deadpool meets vanessa they're comparing oh i was molested by my uncle well i was molested by uncles yeah no i get that so you do it once there it was the end by the end of this thing it's just desperate anything you can think of anal plug whatever i can say i'm going to just say it because the humor's not working it's a raunch comedy yeah i, I took it as a raunchy comedy That's why they're telling these jokes, not because it's not working. Where are the jokes? I'm going to turn you into a cock ring is not a joke. That is, I'm going to say cock ring because that will get a laugh. That's a joke then, right? (laughs) If it gets a laugh, it's a joke. We can have a debate about comedy, but in my estimation, that's when you don't have jokes. Listen, I said when we did Avengers that there is no superhero genre, that you can have all kinds of films. You can have action movies. I said that Infinity War was a drama. In retrospect, I think it's actually a tragedy, which is a different type of drama. This is the American pie of comedy films. (laughs) Oh, don't say that, then I won't like it. (laughs) And Deadpool's the stiffler. 
Yeah, and I get there are jokes here. I'm not saying there are no jokes here. I'm saying when they feel things flatlining, they run to say potty mouth words like that in and of itself is a joke. People laugh at them. That's why they're saying them. But that isn't a joke. You can't be proud of saying shit like that. I'm not offended. I just think it looks covered in flop sweat. It's like, I'm desperate to be funny. What do we do? Uh, Show them your dick. All right. I think just because you're not finding it funny, you're projecting flop sweat onto them because I think this is what it would be like to hang out with those guys. You know, I just feel this is their sense of humor. I don't see a sense of flop sweat. These guys are strutting. They made a shit ton of money with Deadpool 1 and they are doing a victory lap, which you said a lot of sequels are, and they are deservedly doing so here. There is not a glistening of sweat on them. Comedy is in the eye of the beholder. I'm not going to sit here and spend the next hour saying not funny is funny not funny is funny no i don't think you find anything funny i think it's just not funny not funny well you happen to have that privy because i was sitting next to you i really tried not to talk about the movies before we're recording on the show but i think i was actually your entertainment for that viewing because when it ended you and your wife were like ha 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 look at you you hated it didn't you listen deja vu is a chain of strip clubs and their slogan is hundreds of beautiful girls and three ugly ones and that's all i could think about because i was not just watching you i was watching the whole audience. There was a girl who came alone on my left side and she was covering her mouth and folding herself over because she was laughing so hard. I felt like I was in a room with hundreds of laughing people in one grumpy one. Obviously, this movie is going to make tons of money and many people think it's funny. I'm saying my view of comedy is when you say cock, poop, pee, and vagina, that's desperate. And I'm going to quote Eddie Murphy. You can't have no curse show. You can't just walk out here and say cock pussy fuck you have to have context and this has context yeah if you would have said hey person made of flesh and blood i'm going to turn you into a cock ring what but colossus is metal yes yeah, that's what cock rings are made out of unless you get a rubber one or something <laughs> or plastic we are saying the same thing you can't have a curse show you have to have the context i feel like in many cases they broke that rule starting here with all of this pedophile guard stuff yeah we see on russell's neck some bruises and we'll get a flashback they got some machine where they shock them i just took it as they are abusing these kids and yeah pray the gay away shock the mutant out of them or whatever but russell to me is the closest we have to a vanessa in this film and i do like his journey in this film all he wants is a friend and he's at this school that i don't know if he's an orphan or if his parents sent him there and he's been tortured. He has just lived this life. And Deadpool kind of calls it out. He says, hi, we're the X-Men, an outdated metaphor for racism in the 60s. But Brian Singer took that and made it more about, you know, it's about racism, but it's also about sexuality. And here, because he is in that rehabilitation center, like the gay correction camps, what they're doing is showing us a character who's tortured because he can't be himself and that he's going to become the villain because of it. And the entire movie is about saving his soul. I like that. I think that makes him almost as good as Killmonger as a villain. Okay, I feel like they gloss over that. 
I don't know if they're maybe you could call Juggernaut a villain. I don't know if I'd call Russell a villain. I kind of like that. This is a movie about people and their personal struggles. And we don't see that a lot in comic book films because we got to have two big CGI characters fighting at the end, which we'll still get here and they'll call it out. But I like that. Yeah, this is just about, hey, can I help this kid? And can we help Cable out with whatever he's going through with losing his family and help Deadpool out with losing his wife? It's about relationships more, which I appreciate because it's moving away from that typical superhero model. Okay. (laughs) I mean, they're still going to do all that stuff, but I feel thematically, again, it's why I gravitated to Guardians 2, where I was kind of lukewarm on the first one, because I'm like, oh, this is getting about who really is your father, the person, your biological donor, or the person that actually raised you and taught you morals. That's what I find interesting, more so than punching. I'm with you. I... Just to remind everyone, I gave a thumbs up to Guardians 2 for that very reason. Because they stopped just being silly, sarcastic characters and tried to, not always successfully, but tried to give them depth. And here I do see the attempt. Yeah, there's an attempt here. I'm not saying that it's amazing what they do with them. There is an attempt and I appreciate that attempt. Yes, Please try to deepen this character because I don't want it just to be a litany of foul jokes. But ultimately, this is on Wade. I feel like the other characters don't matter. It's about Wade's ability to be a good parent, right? This is a litmus test on how good he would be as a parent with how he's going to treat this kid in prison. And he spends a lot of their time in the cell saying, I don't like you. We're not friends. And then realizing through a vision of Vanessa that this is actually the key to it all. Yeah, when he was talking about his shitty father, it's not that his father's going to come into it. What Vanessa says is one of the morals of the film is children can make us be better than who we are. And he travels to heaven. When he blows himself up, he gets a glimpse of heaven, but there's like this membrane. He can't get to Vanessa. I thought he went to the sunken place. It did. He was underwater and she turns and says, your heart's not in the right place. That's why he joins the X-Men. He thinks maybe his heart should be in saving people. He doesn't click with Russell. I mean, he does the right thing as far as a superhero movie goes like this in shooting the guy in the head who was torturing Russell. He goes to prison for it. And one thing that I don't think the first movie drove home that I forget sometimes is Wade still has stage four cancer. He is still a cancer sufferer. His healing factor didn't remove the cancer. It just heals it as fast as it can come. They put that collar on him. He's dying of cancer again. Yeah, but I think they struggle with Wade because on one hand, he wants to die. He's the one figure that he can't get vengeance on. If he blames himself for getting Vanessa killed, then he should want to die. But nobody wants to die that slowly, is I think what it is. It's the idea of slowly developing tumors and dying a very protracted, painful death. He would much rather just put a bullet in his head. And when he goes to prison, it's not like he's trying to pick a fight with Black Tom. He's telling Russell, no, don't fight the biggest person. Make friends with them. I feel like for a lot of the film, Deadpool is suicidal and he wants to die because he feels like that's how he's going to be with Vanessa. Yet... A lot of times, like in this prison, he could get beat to death and die and go to Vanessa, but no, he kind of just wants to stay out of everything. And Black Tom Cassidy, I know him from the comics. He was, to me, the herald, like Silver Surfer to Galactus. Black Tom Cassidy told me Juggernaut was going to be in this movie. I had this feeling. I mean, they definitely tease the idea that there's something behind this maximum security doorway that's bigger and badder than anybody else. So it occurred to me once or twice before they actually showed him that it could be that juggernaut from Last Stand. 
But yeah, he is kind of looking out for Russell. If there was one joke that made me cringe, and I'm not faulting it for it, it's what the joke is trying to do, Russell talking about his prison wallet and having that pen. Oh, that's just so gross. I think there's a tone problem. I see the striving to make serious points, but at the end of the day, Deadpool gotta be Deadpool, and Deadpool is a one-joke premise, and that's to be vulgar and as nasty as you want to be. The struggle of this movie, and why we're seeing inconsistencies in character here in the middle, is that they want to develop the character, but there's no developing this character. I'll say that this is where I feel the jokes are at their weakest, and it's not a funny time. Deadpool isn't cracking wise. Deadpool's dying of cancer. This movie did not hold up as well on a second viewing as on a first. It rides a lot on shock and surprise, and when the jokes slow down, the movie does feel like it drags. The first time, the whole movie breezed through, but the second viewing around this point, I'm like, yeah, I'd like Cable to show up a little sooner. Here's my big complaint when we go to to prison. Cable shows up and he's got some cool moves. I don't know if he's got magnetism. He'll make that gun fly to him when it gets knocked out of his hands. There's some cool stuff there, but I'm thinking, okay, this is the John Wick guy. I'm expecting all the action scenes to be way better than they actually end up being. Like In this prison one, I kind of just tuned out. It's really kind of nonsensical. And you, I think about in John Wick 2, which a movie I didn't recommend, but that subway scene where they're just walking through a subway, shooting at each other is amazing. Leech wasn't on John Wick 2. Well, okay, John John Wick 1, there was great action scenes as well. Atomic Blonde, there was one great action scene. This prison stuff, it's kind of incoherent. But when Cable does show up, they're, of course, playing it like he's coming for Deadpool. That's what you would expect, because the movie's called Deadpool. He even, I love how he hacks the system. He grabs broken wires, and that's all he has to do to hack the mainframe. And when he calls up what room are people in, Wade Wilson is in, like, a 72-point font, and then Russell (laughs) Collins is in, like, a 24-point font. I'll show you how confused I was. I was convinced he was coming for his son, and I thought because time travel was involved that they would actually be the charred bodies of the future but like this kid and Deadpool oh see I took it because they showed his charred bodies that he's really come in for Russell because he's got the fire powers well you guessed right then <laughs> you were onto this movie yeah they were trying to throw us off but yeah and I just because when we see the future it looks so much like days of future past I'm like did Sentinels kill what's going on here (laughs) this plot does remind me of days of future past because in that one they're trying to stop mystique from doing her first kill here they're trying to stop russell from doing his first kill there's time travel from the future in both there's some parallels there one thing I love about Cable, they fixed this from the trailer. There was that trailer where they made fun of the- His green arm? We'd see him when they finished <laughs> the CGI, and he got in a fight, and he pulled a Winter Soldier move. They'll make a joke that it's a Winter Soldier arm. Winter Soldier kind of pisses me off in that he not only has a robot arm, but anytime somebody shoots at him, he can get that arm in the exact right location to stop a hail of bullets. And I'm like, there's no way you could block an entire body with one robot arm. Here, out of the robot arm comes a big body shield. I enjoy that as a little bit more realism, if you can call a futuristic body shield realism. Now, why doesn't Cable succeed here? The fight ends with them kind of bursting out of the prison. Deadpool goes under the lake and has his vision. The kid is going to sidle up with Juggernaut. What does Cable do? He retreats. Cable loses the fight to Deadpool. Deadpool gets lucky. One of Cable's bullets hits him in the collar, so he's able to take off the collar. He gets his healing powers back. 
We see that illustrated when they fall off of a gantry, Deadpool breaks his back in a really painful looking way. But while distracting Cable talking about Russell, Deadpool pulls the pin on one of Cable's grenades and blows them both out of the building. And they both fall down the side of a mountain. I love that when Deadpool comes out of the water, he's missing part of his skull. Yes. He's lost part of his skull to a rock. I'm imagining Cable is also damaged. He has to go back and repair and prepare for the world's most convenient convoy. I mean, they're in a perfect prison. They're in what? Alaska, Antarctica. They call it the icebox. It's in some snowy mountain. Maybe it's in Canada at Alkali Lake where... Logan was made that we went so many times in those movies, but then they decide to move them out of this perfect prison. I just took it as it was damaged. They got to transfer everyone while they fix the prison. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, the damage. I hadn't thought about that. They never say it, but there's going to be a convoy. And then my favorite sequence of the whole movie, Weasel and Deadpool, they're going to get a team together and... X-Force, right? I mean, we got some major X-Force characters here with Shatterstar, Domino. Vanisher. Is Vanisher a real character? Yes, it is. No, he was on <laughs> X-Force. I thought Vanisher was going to be the Stan Lee cameo. Where is Stan Lee in this movie? I never see him. It's actually in this convoy scene. When they see the convoy going down the street, they have this shot of a building and he's like a mural on the building. They did not have Stan Lee in person. We all know Stan Lee's going through some troubles, but I it looks like he's getting out of those troubles right now. I wish him well. Yet, well, at Marvel, we know they filmed like eight Stan Lee cameos all at once. Deadpool and Fox, I don't think has that foresight. So, the best they could do is paint him on a building and it's a nice way to honor him. I think the future Stanley cameos will actually be Hugh Jackman cameos. I think Hugh Jackman is <laughs> in the Fox wing of the Marvel Universe. He is the Stanley. Yeah, he's always going to get referenced. We saw him earlier on the cover of a cereal box. He'll have a bit here at the end. I love that. Deadpool signs the cereal box Ryan Reynolds. But yeah, we, we're going to put the team together. I, I'm thinking Mystery Men at this point. <laughs> yes, that's very much what it's like with the bowler. I like that they don't turn anyone away. No. Even <laughs> Peter who shows up. All right, I have looked him up. I'm really, really confused. Why do I know Rob Delaney? Yeah, it's a name I know. I don't know what he's from, though. Catastrophe is the only thing I've seen with him in it. It was a British sitcom about an American that romances a British woman that ran, I think, a few seasons on Amazon. I saw an episode or two. It was pretty smart. He looks a little different here. I think he gained some weight in the mustache, of course. He really went out for the bar. He dressed like that for the premiere. He came with the mustache and everything. And the headshot they show of him, that's really him. When Deadpool's like, am I being catfished? But for some reason, I know Rob Delaney's name. And on looking him up, I couldn't place him. Exactly, yeah. I don't follow him on Twitter. I don't know why I know this guy, but he's what you think is going to be the punchline. You know, I don't know how many people Cable's killed, but not as many as melanoma. <laughs> Good line. But yeah, we, I mean, they get big actors here. Not just Brad Pitt for a really short cameo, but I mean, Terry Crews, they're big action stars he's in all those expendable films. He's playing Bedlam here. <laughs> he's physically big. But if you're doing an action movie, yeah, Terry Crews, that would be a draw for people into action films. Oh, and you may not know him, but Louis Tan is a martial artist who's done a number of martial arts films as well as stunt doubling. He was in uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift doing stunts. Okay. <laughs> 
I mean, you'd think that you'd get this guy to do sword work. That is the deceit here, is they're getting people that you think you're actually going to watch in an action comic book movie. I couldn't believe they got Bill Skarsgård. I mean, Pennywise is here. Yeah, I guess he had a break between the Pennywise movies and he could show up for a cameo. I get the humor of this. I think we've seen it before. There was a scene almost identical in Kick-Ass 2. But why would Deadpool think that he needs a team? Because Cable is a badass and they're going against a convoy. I would never in my conception of this character, believe that this guy would ever need to turn to anyone else. This guy mocks everyone else. I cannot believe he would ask for help. That was what was throwing me about this scene. But this is a movie about family, so he's got to build his family. And last movie, when he needed to rescue Vanessa, he went and asked Colossus for help and got Colossus and Teenage Negasonic to go with him to rescue Vanessa. We see him asking people for help both movies. Yeah, I don't like that part of the first movie. I'll just point that out again. This just feels like a bit. It's just like, okay, we're going to assemble this team. I never believe this team's going to make it. They seem like a team of dead meat. No, and to me, this is where I'm fooled because these are major characters that they talk about Mojo World. I'm so happy. I love Mojo World. I can't believe Mojo. Again, this is what I'm talking about, bringing in these crazy comic book ideas. Like, Mojo World is like a reality TV planet or something with Mojo, which is like a crazy Marvel villain. I got a statue of him around here. He's like the slug with spider legs. I love Mojo. It's intentional comedy from the X-Men comics, which didn't have a lot of that, but parodying, I guess, what would become reality TV. You know, I didn't know that Domino's deal was luck. I was thinking of Longshot, who is a mutant I know that I always made fun of because his power is luck. Like, he has good luck, but apparently that's Domino's thing, too. The thing is, these are major characters from the comic. All right, I don't know Bedlam or Zeitgeist. You don't know Vanisher, either. I don't know Vanisher. (laughs) And I love the jokes. Zeitgeist, oh, your power is putting your finger on the pulse of pop culture. And Shatterstar, I'm better than you in every way. How much have we seen that trope of that? And Deadpool going, just once, I want to go to a planet where I'm better than them in every way. But these, I think, are X-Force. I know there's an X-Force movie coming. You pick up an X-Force comic, you see Shatterstar. Deadpool's going to be in his X-Force costume by the end of this film. So I think this is the lead-in to the X-Force movie. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that would change your perception of this. Yeah, I mean, having Cable show up and getting stuck in this timeline, yeah, that tells me X-Force is coming. And I really would think Shatterstar would be in it. From Liefeld's old X-Men comic, Shatterstar was large. And in the trailers, there were a lot more shots of X-Force. Bedlam was beating up a bunch of guys. We never see any of that. Turned out they shot a whole bunch of stuff just for the trailer to fool us into thinking that they were going to be in the climax. Yeah, they just lie now. I mean, Thor did that by CGIing. They gave him an eye when it was gone in that movie. Avengers did it with showing the Hulk in the final fight. They just lie now to sell these movies. I think in this case, it preserved the surprise. It helped lead me to think this was going to be the cinematic X-Force. Not that Bedlam was going to be hit by a bus. And Shatterstar turn into purple goo in helicopter blades. And so the fact that they go on this first mission, and the second time I watched it, they must say about the high winds eight times. You're listening to the radio, they talk about the high winds. I knew something was coming because they kept drilling that there's high winds going on. Again, I thought these guys were set up to fail. I thought that that was obvious they were all going to fall. And I kind of enjoyed that, but this did not feel like the team that was going to carry on into any sequel. I never believed that. I thought they were going to pull 
what they did with all the guns in the first Deadpool, where he gets all his guns and then forgets them. I thought they were all just going to kind of blow away and not be around for the big fight. I didn't expect what happens. Let me put it that way. I didn't yes. expect <laughs> all of them to die in parachuting accidents. And the one that lives is Peter, well, except for Domino. And Peter dies trying to save Zeitgeist, and Zeitgeist vomits acid on him. I'm laughing my ass off here. Domino. She's the one who is going to stick around. She's the one who is going to be in the X-Force movie. I had some real problems before seeing this movie because that was the big reveal. Before they'd even cast Cable, they released this sexy photo or art of Zazie Beats. It's like she's laying on a bearskin rug, but she's laying on Deadpool. Yeah, I remember that. And I'm like, this isn't Domino. I don't care what race you cast as Domino, but you need to put Domino in like kiss makeup. She has white pancake makeup and then a black spot around an eye. She looks like a glam rocker. And so to see Zazie beats the little spot they put around her eye made me think she was a mog from Spaceballs. <laughs> I didn't think she looked domino at all. I praised this movie earlier for sticking to comic outfits. They took a hard left on domino. But damn if Zazie beats doesn't win me over. I love Domino in this film. I went in arms crossed like, that's not my Domino. She's hysterical here. Her Do people have a Domino? Like, I barely know who this character is. I know I've read comics with her before. You're saying a lot about your expectations. As someone that didn't know that this was even a character, I wouldn't say that this was a problem at all. She feels like the perfect foil for Deadpool because she's just like him. She can never be hurt. And so they both have this bubble that protects them and allows them to be snarky. Everywhere they go, we know that they're not really going to die, and so they can be above it all. And so in that way, she has his power. To a degree, but she's also very devil-may-care attitude, but not in the same way as him. I think she's a good foil for him in that she's just c'est la vie, whereas his humor comes from him grinding against the flow of life. He does not like the status quo and he wants to call it out at every moment. And she's parachuting and she's just going to land safely. She's going to luck into being on the convoy. And later on, she's going to be thrown and land on an inflatable panda. And just the way Zazie plays her is perfect for me. I, she is now my favorite member of X-Force. I'll second that. I like her the best. <laughs> There's only two members, though, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. I like her because she's warm. Even though she is in this bubble of like, I don't care and nothing can hurt me, I still feel like she's more curious about the world. She doesn't know why she's joined the team, but she trusts the forces of the universe that there's a reason and a point to her following this journey. I also think it's done in one priceless little facial expression she gives. She had a one-night stand with Juggernaut, right? They're going to have a goof on Black Widow and Hulk in later movies because when she sees Juggernaut, it's like the walk of shame. She's like, I cannot let him see me. No, I took it as she was scared to death because she just looks at him and she just turns around and mouths the word nope and walks away. <laughs> oh, I, you could read it at that. But I'm going to just lay down this prediction. She hooked up with them. They are going to parody Scarlett Johansson and Mark Ruffalo's relationship in future movies. And we'll see in the climax. She intentionally avoids being around. She will not fight him. She's off doing something else. I didn't get because she's scared. Why would she be scared? There's no reason to be scared. She will always be protected by her luck. She hooked up with a the dude. There's luck, but then there's suicide. <laughs> 
You know, I think going up against the Juggernaut. Yeah, we'll see what Juggernaut can do here. He rips Deadpool in half. And this caravan scene, this is some good leech action. No, I agree here. I enjoy this stuff, this action jumping on this convoy and it crashing through buildings. It's pretty good action stuff here. And Deadpool getting his red scooter from the comics. In the comics, you know, that was yes. his Batmobile was a little red scooter. He just steals it from somebody. And Cable jumps on the back and grabs it, and Deadpool tries the same move. I got it! No, I don't! And he's rolling backwards. And Deadpool and Cable have a showdown, and I don't know if you guys caught this. They take another jab at X-Men Origins here with the way Deadpool slices the bullet in half and then spins his swords around. I don't remember that movie. <laughs> well, that was the cool scene Ryan Reynolds got in it, is- So it was in the first ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. That he cut a bullet in half in slow-mo, and then he used his katanas like lightsabers and deflected all the bullets. Here, they recreated exactly, like move for move, camera move for camera move, that shot of cutting the bullet in half and then the spinning of the swords. But the joke being, the bullets were fast and actually went through him this time. I'm laughing, and yet I'm excited and then when Juggernaut comes out, I had figured it out, but there were cheers in my first audience. Everyone was excited for Juggernaut, and I think they did him right. He needed to be all CGI. The CGI in this movie isn't great. They didn't really improve it. I thought Colossus looked better, but Juggernaut looks weird. Yeah, Colossus looks better, but his lip sync isn't quite right. I like that they started reflecting light off of him and onto walls, though. But Juggernaut looks weird. I tried to figure out who was voicing him. It, the credits say Juggernaut as himself. It wasn't Vinnie Jones. I had to do some digging. Ryan Reynolds is doing that voice. Okay. <laughs> he comes out and Deadpool's a fan. I love it. I have all your comics. And he gets ripped in half. I keep forgetting Deadpool can survive anything. Yeah, no, and I knew what they were going to do. That little baby hand joke in the first one's legit funny. I'm like, oh, they're doing the legs now. That baby hand joke is like a two-second joke. Here, it is a whole scene. So you're agreeing with me? Because that's, again, this is my complaint. I'm agreeing that they're doing the same joke where he has little baby appendages growing, but I'm losing my shit. I'm laughing during all this stuff when they talking about Winnie the Pooh and he's doing his basic instinct and flashing his... <laughs> this is Deadpool to me. If you don't want raunchy humor, then don't see a Deadpool movie. Not recommend. I'll, I'll just say that now. <laughs> and I just love that they call it going full Winnie the Pooh wearing a shirt with no pants. Yeah, I always <laughs> heard it was called Donald Ducking, but they're calling it Winnie the Pooh here. And then the leg cross right out of Basic Instinct. And just like Basic Instinct, I never really saw a vagina in Basic Instinct here. You see a flap of something. I don't know if it's balls or dick or what. I don't want to know, but it's funny. This might have been funny if I hadn't seen the first movie. It completely negates it. But you didn't find the first movie funny. I didn't find it hysterical. I thought it was more creative. I could recognize that they were carving a space for themselves in the superhero genre that hadn't been done before. Now I feel like they won't leave the womb. Like, we made this space, and we're not going to do anything different in this movie. Well, are they supposed to go full serious now? I do feel like they do things different here. Yes, they are going to have callbacks to jokes. They're going to expand on jokes. But this is a better movie because the villain, whoever the villain is, if it's Cable, if it's Russell, if it's Essex, whatever it is, it's way better than Francis. Like, that was deadly to that film. Like, if that film wasn't funny, that would be a not recommend. Because it was funny and because it was a good love story, that got a recommend from me. But that actual villain and the plot of that one was not good. I'm way more into the actual plot of this movie. Well, 
Well, this is where the arrow decidedly turned red for me because Cable is not the villain. And when we have this moment where he comes to them and asks for help, maybe you guys anticipated this because you know something about the character in the comic books, but this is not what I was promised a Terminator spoof. And the fact that they're going to do this is, I don't feel like Brolin's very good in the rest of the movie. And I don't like the idea that they're all going to take a taxi ride to fight the Big bad at the end. Brolin does what Josh Brolin does, which is just kind of scowl the whole time. Like, I feel like that's his character in just about every movie. And I think he gets better here. Now, yes, I did go in knowing the two of them are like the buddy cop formula. They're the lethal weapon. There's the funny one and the gruff one. And Deadpool and Cable, they're just are always together. In X-Force, Cable leads X-Force. Deadpool's on X-Force. So they're going to team up against a bigger villain. I knew that was coming, a la Batman v Superman. They make fun about Batman v Superman, but yet they follow its tropes here. Yes, that's what this movie is trying to protect itself with, with its sense of humor, is we're actually... I'll build a snowman, and it's the same song as Yentl, but if we point it out, that somehow keeps us protected. Self-awareness goes a long way for me. If you know you're ripping something off and you're in a joke about it, okay, at least we're on the same page. I could give you that at least. That's what this movie is dependent on. And when he comes to them for help, first of all, the fact that Deadpool asking Blind Al, is this apartment listed on Tinder or Grindr? I mean, because everybody's just showing up there and calling Deadpool a dumb C-word for letting the juggernaut out, Cable can't take on the juggernaut alone. They need a team. And so Deadpool needs to say anything Colossus. I'm not buying that he needs a family and I'm not loving his relationship with the family anywhere near what I felt about him and Vanessa. Like not even close. I'm liking the dynamic. You don't always get along with family. (laughs) Sometimes you really hate your family. But it's what Colossus said is you need family right now. This may not be family you want, but it's the family you got. And I just love that he pulls up a boombox app on his phone (laughs) to do the say anything. And Colossus is in there reading that little tiny handbook. You know what I really appreciated was the continuity here. Like we saw Deadpool get ripped in half. And for the rest of the film, he has duct tape holding his suit together. I don't, it's a weird little detail, but I'm like, oh, they're actually kind of paying attention to what's going on in this film. And usually you just show up with a new uniform or it's little things like that, that I appreciate here. I love that Ryan Reynolds is like, yeah, it's a slightly new outfit. The shin pieces are shinier, but they still couldn't put one of the zippers someplace where it didn't take me six hours to pee. (laughs) Colossus is going to come with them. They're all gathered in. And Josh Brolin, when he's telling Deadpool, you are no hero, and giving him that sneer and everything, this cab ride and both intercourses between Deadpool and Cable. The second time I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking it must be really awkward to be like Weasel. Because Deadpool and Cable get all the dialogue once Cable shows up. Domino, Weasel, Blind Out. They're just there kind of watching the back and forth. (laughs) It's got to be really, really awkward. I feel a need to interject something. But they do it again in the cab. I'm liking how Brolin's like, I need you, but I don't like you. Deadpool's going to earn Cable's respect here. That's growth. That's an arc for both of them. I mean, even Dopender kind of has an arc in this. He's We haven't talked a whole lot about him, but he's been trying to become a contract killer this whole film. And yeah, he keeps wussing out, though, every time he actually gets the chance, like in this taxi. <laughs> I just love it. He killed his cousin in the last movie, and he equates himself to Kirsten Dunst in Interview for a Vampire getting blood. I want more. <laughs> 
That's a running gag, the Kirsten Dunst reference. And yet they know they're in a double bind here because the message they want to send is they have to stop the first kill. That it's actually wrong to be a vigilante because there's a child involved. And so they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Yeah, this was kind of my problem, though, with Logan, too. I I wonder if this is intentional. Like, Logan was like, oh, I got to save these kids to protect their innocence. But no, they're killing troops at the end, just like Logan is. Yeah, I thought the same thing. The headmaster will die. I thought Cable was going to shoot him when it gets near the end. And I'm like, wait, so the headmaster can be killed? It's just Russell can't be the one to kill him? Just Russell can't get the taste for blood. That's the whole plot. But this is the big climactic showdown. I love they call out. We're going to have a big CGI fight. The Colossus juggernaut fight is like the comic book fight I have wanted on screen for 20 years and never gotten, especially from an X-Men film. They're just going at it. They tried to do this in The Last Stand. This is how it should have been done. I feel bad for Colossus because I know he could turn like human again, but by the end of this fight, he has a huge dent in his head. And I wonder if that's going to carry you over. I may just have to heal before he turns back. Like, remember when Emma Frost's neck cracked? Does he go to a panel beater and get that fixed? He lost a tooth. I'm like, what kind of dentist is going to put a bridge in a big metal man? This is the fight where the guy loses by getting to pants and an electric cable shot in his ass. Yeah, I don't like this necessarily. It's like Colossus has to go Deadpool. And no, I like Colossus more when, like in that first film, when he's like covering his eye when the girl's boo pops out. And she's like, oh, you're such a gentleman as she tucks it back in. I like that. It works better because we already have a bunch of X-rated characters. We need a Boy Scout. So the fact that he goes blue at the end here, it does feel like a betrayal of the character. I hated this scene, for example. Exactly the stinger of it. I was like, I'm hating it. I like the three-way fight. Domino goes off on her own because she's found her purpose. She just realizes her luck power, she's going to something. She doesn't know why she's trying out for the X-Force team. She doesn't know why she's going along with these guys, but she's just following fate where it takes her. She was tortured at this school too. She is back to help rescue the children from being tortured like she was. So she goes off to help children, while Cable and Deadpool go off to stop Russell and Juggernaut and Colossus duke it out. Can I ask, though, does that feel like Urn when the bureau comes down and cuts off the guy's head and the bus just kind of conveniently flies in through the window? Yes, because that's Domino's whole deal is it's just luck. And I guess I finally get her name. I never got why she was called Domino, but I guess things just fall and knock each other down like dominoes. And that's kind of her path. Like we see these beds fall down and trap a guy and then the bookshelf or whatever falls down and cuts his head off. And then a bus comes through. If her thing's luck and Deadpool makes a joke, how is that even cinematic well they made a way to make it cinematic it's like she's a walking final destination film yes <laughs> I loved it. the way like things are rolling on the ground i'm like oh boy somebody gotta watch out for that i get that that can be a joke i mean you could look at this movie and say it's just parroting a legitimate superhero movie but my question to you guys both since you're saying you're enjoying it as a comedy are you also enjoying it as like yeah the kids are safe I'm so glad that the school is brought down. The dramatic beats, are those working? Yes, I'm enjoying that. Unlike the first Deadpool movie where I enjoyed as a comedy and kind of a rom-com mostly, I'm enjoying this on all those different levels as a comedy, as a story about family, and as a superhero movie with just the action going on. Yeah, everything's working better this time than that first one where they just really didn't have enough money to tell the story that needed to be told. I'm going to contrast with Jacob's point here. 
I do think it's working for me as a superhero film. I think this ending is working as a big final climactic battle, especially, again, I'm getting the action I want with Juggernaut and Colossus, and the CGI is good enough to make that feel exciting, and Teenage Negasonic and Yukio are going to show up because Colossus is losing till he gets a hand from them. So I'm getting that, and I'm still laughing at the jokes. I'm absolutely finding them really funny, but I just don't think the family here works as well as Vanessa last time. This movie tries to emulate the emotion of last time. It doesn't resonate for me as well. No, I'm not saying it's as good as that. It's good enough, though, for me to be engaged in this film. You would want to see this team come together in another movie. Oh, yeah. I was not looking forward to an X-Force film, but yeah, with Domino, Deadpool, and Cable, yeah, I'm down for that. Wow, I never want to see these people do this again. And we have to watch it twice because they have to rewind it because the first time they go through it, Deadpool does take a bullet and die. And yeah, this is where Jacob was talking about. They blow some dust on him and Deadpool... He's now wearing his X-Force colors. Yeah, he's all in gray. (laughs) I don't understand this about Deadpool, but he's big on color coordination. He has so many outfits, but he has a gray outfit he wears because the X-Force team wears all gray and black. And so they pretend it's dust, but he is now in his gray and black X-Force suit. He's part of X-Force. And he puts the collar on. The only way to stop Russell is to sacrifice himself and show Russell somebody cares about you enough to do it. He insulted Russell earlier talking to Cable saying, I don't care about the kid. And he was really just trying to distract Cable from realizing that he was pulling a grenade off Cable's belt. But Russell heard that and it hurt his feelings. Yeah, common trope. Yeah. Deadpool had to prove he cared about this kid by sacrificing his life for him. And this works dramatically for you guys. End of Deadpool 1, Vanessa loving him despite his disfigurement does pull a heartstring as well as some laughs. This is also doing that for you. I'm not going to say also because to me that means they're equal. They're not equal. This one doesn't work as well, but it works enough. I appreciate that they're trying to do something more dramatic. Like this works way better than... Tony, I feel funny. Like, I don't give a shit about you, Spider-Man. This, watching Fire Fist, because the whole thing is Deadpool's like, oh, if you're going to burn someone up, you're going to have to burn me up. But no, it's he's going to jump and take that bullet, contrasting what he tried to do with Vanessa and failed at. He takes the bullet for Russell here. I don't know. It works enough for me. I'm not crying, but I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing. And I applaud that they're trying to do this in a superhero blow up movie. I would think this would only work as a parody of movies that do this legitimately. Well, they do make it a parody. I mean, this death scene goes on forever. It goes on too long, I'll say. Here's my problem. I think the scene works when it plays the first time. I think Deadpool taking the bullet, making Russell realize he cares, that's all well and good. It's set up. The time Deadpool turns to the camera, breaks the fourth wall and says, well, that's just lazy writing, is... In so many time travel movies, I've asked, why did they come here? Why didn't they go back a day further? And Deadpool asks Cable, why did you come here? And Cable's like, it hurts the further back I go, so I came to this point. This is as far as I could manage the pain and stop Russell from killing anybody. And I only have two charges. One to go back and kill Russell, and then one to go forward to be with my family. They're going to stand there and watch Deadpool die for four minutes, five minutes. That's one of those that I'm laughing And then I stop laughing and it just keeps on going. So it's funny again, kind of jokes. All the while, though, I'm like, at any moment, somebody could just take that collar off 
I mean, that's all they had to do. But the point is not that they couldn't solve this problem. The point is they were respecting the fact that Deadpool wanted to die. And that is the weird thing to me is that Deadpool is suicidal. He wants to go back to Vanessa. Maybe Russell doesn't realize this because me, the knowing audience, it doesn't seem as much of a sacrifice as they're trying to sell. And that's what downplays the real heartstrings they could be pulling here is that, well, this is what Deadpool wants. He gets to go back to heaven or wherever and see Vanessa. I get that. But if you're going to respect his wish to die, why do you wait for that to happen and then use the only second charge you have of your time travel device to not respect that wish? Well, my conclusion is because this is a bad movie and it was poorly written. It's my biggest flaw with the film is that they could have saved him at any point and instead they have to use Cable's one charge to go back in time to the beginning of the fight. I like that it's the token that he gave Vanessa. Cable took it during their fight, like something to remember you by. I don't know if Cable takes a trophy from all of his kills, but he gives it back to Deadpool here secretly in the exact spot. Cable's a hell of a marksman. The exact spot he's going to hit with the bullet. He's a cyborg. He could shoot things really well. It lands on that note. If you can go with the fact that it's mocking the cliches, you won't mind the cliches. And I can't go with that trope. And how many time travel movies have we seen where the hero dies at the end? Hell, we just reviewed Prince of fucking Persia where they did the same thing. (laughs) And it did far worse than here. I'm going with it. I just wish it was better explained why, like, he couldn't just take the collar off and save that charge. Yeah, they do just take the collar off at the end, though, because he still has that collar on when he gets shot and saved by the bullet. And I do love seven. Well, it can't just be one number for the code to get it off. But (laughs) I expected Deadpool to actually go back to before Vanessa was shot and save all of them there. I do like where he does die. He finally gets to cross through that membrane. He's gone to heaven three times and he finally gets to cross over and be with Vanessa. And that is the most heartwarming f- moment of this whole film for me. When they reenact the aha video. And I love that they play take on me. I didn't realize they did an acoustic version. It's aha doing it. Oh, that really was a ha? Oh, yeah. They're actually a very big band in Europe. They have like 20 years of music. They're pretty successful. Yeah, I had heard this before. Oh, I had not heard this, but I like it's used here. And speaking of music, did you guys notice this is the first movie to have a parental warning about language on the score album? Because of shit balls, shit balls, yes. holy shit balls. Yes, I love that. I didn't catch it the first time, but on the second time. Oh, yeah. Time- no, I looked at my wife. I'm like, are you listening to this choir? <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like they're just doing Oh Fortuna, but when Juggernaut comes, it's like, it's the fucking Juggernaut, shitballs, shitballs. <laughs> oh, funny. But I did like them together, but I knew they couldn't leave him dead. So he leaves her dead and she's like, it's a funny line though, because one thing that they tease in these movies is Deadpool's bisexuality. And when he says, don't sleep with Elvis, and she tells him, don't sleep with Colossus, I got a big laugh out of me. Colossus would be the top, right? I don't know. I haven't thought that much about it. (laughs) He would be the cock ring. But we think it's over. Deadpool said at the beginning, this is a family movie. And here at the end, he has his family. The little bit of diabetes, the little bit of crazy. Is Dupander in this now because he killed the headmaster? Yeah, is he an X-Force? Is he Brown Panther? Is he (laughs) lovingly dubbed? Yeah, that was funny because... Cable was going to kill him. Dopender, he finally gets his kill. It's satisfying. Yeah, he kills the headmaster of the Essex house. Yeah, Dopender. Did you guys notice, though, the Easter egg in his cab? On top of the 
cabs, there's always the advertisements. His was advertising Alpha Flight, the airline service. Oh, not the Canadian superhero team? No, it it said (laughs) Alpha Flight, but it was all about, like, an airline. Yeah, Alpha Flight, for those who don't know, is basically the Canadian version of the X-Men that has... Guardian and North Star, Aurora, Sasquatch, Snowbird, Puck. Yes, because there's only snow and, uh, I don't know, weird monsters in Canada, apparently. So we're going to name all our characters after that. I'm disappointed there's no Maple Leaf. (laughs) (laughs) There ain't ever going to be an Alpha Flight movie. Don't say never. (laughs) No one wants to see Sasquatch and a bunch of Canadian superheroes. It doesn't even matter. Anything goes these days. Anything. The humans didn't go. They tried. That's true. It did get canceled. I was happy to receive. But yeah, we see mid-credits Negasonic Teenage Warhead. She's going to fix that time travel watch. And I guess it was out of juice, and she's going to somehow put more juice in it. These are the best jokes right here. Even people at Marvel Studios, Joe Quesada, head of Marvel everything, including Marvel Studios, and Kevin Feige, head of Marvel Studios, they have both called this the best credit scene of all time, and I am hard-pressed to disagree. First, I can't decide, and in fact, the writers have admitted this. I looked this up. He goes back and he does what he should have done all along and saves Vanessa, the Cream cheese spreader, hits the guy in the head, kills him, and Vanessa's left alive. And I'm like, did that just undo the whole movie, or is this just a gag for the credits? I was wondering about that. I'm like, yeah, is it gonna mean he doesn't go and try to save Russell now, and Cable succeeds? How does that work? That's the problem with time travel movies. And that's the problem with this movie, is that it doesn't take its plot seriously, but that's not a problem if you're laughing. And the writers even said that This may mean Vanessa's in the next film, or it may mean that they just ignore this end credit sequence as a joke and move on. They haven't decided. But then to go back and kill the other Deadpool, I was shocked to shit when we cut to Wolverine. Because that was new footage. That was like recent Hugh Jackman. No, that was old footage. What? From X-Men Origins, filmed 10 years ago. Hugh Jackman looks a lot older than that now. And- When I saw this in IMAX, I could definitely tell film grain on the shots of Jackman versus the no grain digital of everything else. Not all that footage was used in the original Origins movie. They went back to like what was shot. And that second shot where Wolverine's just like looking at him may just be Hugh Jackman waiting for somebody to say action. Yeah. They got his permission. Jackman thought it would be funny as hell. And so he goes back and kills the mouthless Wolverine. I like that he's like, just cleaning up the time stream. (laughs) And then I'm sure a joke that Stuart should appreciate but doesn't, Green Lantern. It never happened. We didn't, we never seen it. (laughs) Well, it'd be fine if I hadn't seen him do it in the last movie. Didn't he already have this don't make me green and uh, we get it. It, You made a bad movie. Like, make a good one now. (laughs) It still got a big laugh from the audience, I think. To see Ryan Reynolds reading the script and just the blood to explode all over the script. No, I I like this mid-credit scene. Now, there were a couple other mid-credit scenes that they talked about doing. One, they weren't sure if this was going to go back in the hiring montage, but they thought it would be an end credit scene. They'd have somebody apply to be in X-Force and not get the job. 
and that was going to be played by Chris Evans. I read about this. He was going to show up as the Human Torch. The writer said he was going to come in acting like Captain America, and Deadpool would say, we all know you're the Human Torch. Get out of here. (laughs) And Chris Evans would say, we all have our pasts. But they decided they liked what they had and never even approached Chris Evans. They didn't get far with it, but it was written. But they filmed... A stinger. When you, after the Green Lantern scene, credits roll, there's nothing else. I stayed the first time and nothing. But there was going to be something after all the credits. One more time travel scene. It was filmed. It tested so badly. (laughs) But they said it may be on the DVD. Oh, I read about this. Baby Hitler. Deadpool goes back in time to baby Hitler standing over the crib and goes to kill the baby. I guess people didn't want to see a baby shot. They even tried a version where he drew a little Hitler mustache on the baby to drive home I'm killing Hitler, but ending the movie on killing an infant did not go over well. And if you watch the opening credits, there's a guy with a Nazi armband on in one of the crayon drawings, and later on, Deadpool's like, why didn't you go back and kill Hitler? They're leading up to this end joke that they cut. Yeah. (laughs) So, let's get to our end joke. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Deadpool 2? Jacob. Yeah, like I've said, I I enjoyed this one more than the first one because it didn't have maybe the the same emotional impact, but I appreciate they still try to do something here. That last one was a rom-com. This is one about family. I like that they address like the whole bullying thing. And again, it becomes very obvious when I'm watching this on the day that there is another school shooting and I'm reports that this was a kid that was bullied. I'm like, oh, I appreciate that there's a a movie and that a lot of people are going to see because it's a superhero movie. And I know it's not deep or anything, but I appreciate that they're at least a addressing that and that this is just different than a lot of standard Marvel films. Yes, there's big CGI characters fighting at the end, but I just feel like this is more about characters and how they get along and there's not a clear-cut villain that they're all trying to destroy at the end, except maybe Juggernaut. But yeah, the humor's there. If you like the humor in the first one, this is more of the same, just as raunchy, maybe a little more raunchy. But the action's better than the first one. The characters are better. The drama, not quite as good, but it's still there. I liked all the stuff in Heaven or the afterlife between Deadpool and Vanessa. I wish we got more unique stuff in superhero movies where you saw that kind of relationship stuff where they actually treated it seriously. So yeah, this is a recommend. Stuart, I think the exact opposite. I think they traded down. I think getting rid of Vanessa and trying to say, hey, we could franchise this guy. This guy plays well with the team is completely wrong. I don't think he works well at all with this X-Force. I think you missed the heart of the first film. And I came around. But that heart was not enough for you to recommend it originally. The problem that I had when I watched it originally, and I stand by that perception, is it's not a very good superhero movie. Go back, watch it again. It is not a good superhero movie, but it is a good romantic comedy with some raunchy jokes. It does work on its own terms, and I can respect that. In its own way, it carved its own identity, and it did something that nobody else had dared to do. So yeah, I flipped the arrow on that one, even though, again, I didn't think it was that funny, but I could respect what it was doing. I can't respect this movie. This movie wallows in the same jokes, and yeah, goes bluer because he knows they need to get more laughs out of it, and the material's tired, and they go Bluer. And when they do try to go and do those themes about child bullying and what have you, it, to me, that's where the movie is lost tonally. I don't think dramatically this movie 
is about anything at all. I feel certain that it doesn't work as a drama about family. And whether it works as a parody of superhero movies or comedy really lies on the fact of whether you think Ryan Reynolds is entertaining or not. It's the immovable object in the room. I don't like him. So I don't like this film. Pump the hate break, Stuart. (laughs) That is my wife's new favorite saying. (laughs) I loved this movie. I had so much fun at this movie. I laughed. I welled up when Vanessa died. I felt for Deadpool. I followed his emotional journey. I liked that it was a non-traditional villain type story, like Jacob said, that we're trying to redeem someone, not just beat down someone. There's a redemption arc for Russell, and really for Deadpool himself. If you like the first one, you're going to like this one, absolutely. And if you don't like the first one, you probably wouldn't buy a ticket anyway, but you're not going to find this one to change your mind. The one thing that I'll say, though, is I think the first one is better. The villain isn't as good. Ajax slash Francis is not as good as Russell. And whatever wrestler they had Angel last time is not as good as Juggernaut. But the romance angle and the emotional journey of Wade last time worked better for me than here. The family thing, I get it and it works. It just doesn't work as well. So I prefer part one, but part two is still great. I'm so happy to have these Deadpool films actually exist. I sometimes have to pinch myself that life is this cool. It sounds like, Jacob, you're in this camp, but I find it staggering that anyone would disagree with you, Arnie. Like, there's no way that this movie is better than the one last time. The first one did something new and different. You're going to respond to that one just because you hadn't seen it before. This is the same film. Like, maybe if you didn't see the first one first and saw this one first, this could be your favorite. But how did they build on what they did in the first one and make it better? I don't get it. And so many people think they did do better. I'm seeing a lot of people saying two is better than one. I agree. Come to the forums and nicely explain to me why that is. Because I (laughs) see that someone that just kind of did what they knew worked last time. I do not see someone that said, let's take it to the next level. I just don't see that. Yeah, emotional-wise, it doesn't hit those same depths, but they go for it here, and as a comic book movie with explosions and fighting, yeah. Look, I rewatched that first Deadpool movie, and I found myself really bored when I wasn't laughing at blue jokes, because, oh, that Francis and all that stuff in the lab, just, it's pretty bad. I really disliked it. This one, it satisfied that action side that I have, to watch some good choreographed fights and running on cars that are moving and all that. You know what's funny, though? It's like watching that again, like I really felt myself bonding with that Brit guy. I'm just like, yeah, make him stop talking. (laughs) That's such a good idea. (laughs) I was supportive this time. I was like, yeah, whatever it does. That's because you hate (laughs) Ryan Reynolds. That's the problem. The more Ryan Reynolds is beat up in a film, the more you'll like it. (laughs) I reserve the right to not think this man is funny. I don't normally think he's funny. I'm not going to go see Van Wilder, but yeah, he entertains me in this. That's interesting, Jacob, that you could not like him in other movies and like him here. I would think that it would be an all or nothing. I don't have to like an actor every time. To each their own. I don't want to make this to be a litigation about what's funny or what's not. I didn't think it was funny. And so when I looked at everything else that was there, I don't want what's coming. I can tell you if this is the team and they're going to keep doing this in the future, this is absolutely what I do not want from an X-Men movie. Well, here's what's going on with the X-Franchise. 
First, we have Dark Phoenix. Now, Valentine's Day 2019, almost a full year after it was supposed to go. Oh, man, you're, you're getting me in trouble if I got to take my wife to a X-Men proper film on Valentine's Day. <laughs> she hates those films. See, and I think they're some of the most consistent. I won't say they make the best ones, although First Class, more than Avengers. Honestly, X-Men has delivered again and again a solid, entertaining movie, and I trust them. Yeah, they kind of messed up with Apocalypse. I kind of gave it a light green arrow that probably is going to turn red if I watch it again. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. There was a lot that wasn't good about the 80s in in life and in that (laughs) film. But going to the 90s and going to that storyline that everyone seems to like about Dark Phoenix, I know they can do it better than they did in Last Stand. If they keep pushing it back, that characters will actually be 10 years older than when we saw them last. And you know what? Movies get in trouble and get reworked all the time. And I think because we know that, we can come in with a judgmental stance of, well, it must be terrible. No, it means that it needed work. And hopefully they'll get it right. By delaying that long, they'll have no excuse not to have a solid X-Men entry in February. What director Simon Kinberg has said is it's just a real problem getting that cast together. They're all heavily working people. Mm-hmm. McAvoy's doing glass and what's her face is shooting Game of Thrones. You know, everybody's out there doing something. Sure. But then we have the new mutants, which should have been out already, refilming half that film. We talked about Mr. Sinister here with the Essex School. Well, He was apparently going to be in New Mutants, played by John Hamm, completely removed. Now the new villain's going to be played by Antonio Banderas. What? Yeah. I don't know why, in what world that would ever make sense. I'd rather have Antonio Banderas than John Hamm. You got John Hamm. Why would you not keep him in the movie? Yeah. He's a much more credible actor. I don't know. I guess Banderas had his day, but that was a long time ago. Here's the positive thing on New Mutants, is the director felt the entire time that he was neutered by the studio during photography. He wanted a violent horror film, and the studio was scared to death of an R rating. And the director, Boone, was contractually obligated to shoot the script, so he couldn't do the stuff he wanted to do. The second half of the film is pretty much done, but the first half needed a lot of work. Boone is going back to add a whole lot of scares that initially the Fox execs said don't do, Now they're like, oh, we need it to be a horror film and maybe even rated R. Cool. I mean, again, you got my ear when you say, let's step out of the typical formula, do horror, do R, do something different. I think that that is the one thing that Fox can consistently do that Marvel, in their own way, make variations on the formula, but they're going to stick to a formula. And here... Yeah, this could be a radically different kind of mutant movie. And so I'm excited about both of those films. And Deadpool's not in either one, right? I don't know. Okay. He might be the new Hugh Jackman. I mean, he's raking in the dough. If Fox needs somebody to carry on the franchise, Rai Rai can do it. You just said Rai Rai. (laughs) I know I said Rai Rai. (laughs) Meanwhile, there are no plans, Stuart, you can rejoice. There are no plans right now for Deadpool 3. Okay. Ryan Reynolds is even saying he doesn't know that there ever will be a Deadpool 3. There will be. There was that joke in one of the trailers that he and Weasel were saying, when you make a 2 this good, you stop. What they're doing now is X-Force. And it's going to be 
Deadpool as a character in an ensemble piece, Mm -mm. so he'll be bringing his humor, but the movie won't be that humor. It's going to be a Deadpool 3, though. They call it whatever they want. If it's Deadpool, it's going to be his film. They know who's buttering their bread. I mean, that was always the fact with Hugh Jackman. Like The the more Hugh Jackman was in the film, the less of an X-Men film it was. They knew what people wanted to see. Or Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. There's there's always a a focal point, right? It's very hard to find people that are equally Star-watched, but I do think Avengers does that. I do think you can have multiple favorites within the Avengers, and here everyone's going to love Deadpool and no one's going to care about Cable or whatever else is going on. No, I like those other characters, but yeah, it's a Deadpool show. Well, that's the whole point of doing X-Force is to downplay him and make him a supporting character. Bring in Warpath, maybe, and... Oh, he was in uh, Days of Future Past, right? He's one of those future X-Men. Yeah, he was in there. There's a lot of good characters you can bring in from the X-Force roster. i very game for that. It's going to be directed... And written by Drew Goddard. He currently has to finish a movie called Bad Times at El Royale. I hear good things. And when he's done with that, he's going to move on to X-Force. Isn't he Cabin in the Woods? Yeah. He did Cabin in the Woods and was going to do the Sinister Six film. And he's swimming in the superhero pool. Okay. Well, that's neither a good or a bad thing. It seems like he would be an okay choice. Gambit. That's right. That's supposed to be out next summer. No. Can we give up on Gambit? They have a script that they like. Is Channing Tatum in the film? He is signed to star. He likes the script. They're interviewing directors right now for 2019 early filming and release in October 2019. Oh, October now. Okay. And there's a film I hadn't even heard about until latest Entertainment Weekly. Brian Bendis, who... Just quit Marvel to go work at DC and write Superman is writing a movie for Fox called 143, which to me is old pager speak for I love you, but apparently it's a Kitty Pride solo film. Okay. Who was she? Was that Juno? Yeah, Juno played Kitty Pride. Okay. It all depends what the execution is. I like Kitty Pride story sometimes, especially when she teams up with Wolverine, but I guess that's not going to happen. Here's one thing I would definitely say. The future of the movies are for people that are younger than us. They need to get some characters that are teens. They need to do that level of movie. Kitty Pride's a teen. Yeah, they need to make that movie. I think that's the entire intent of New Mutants is mm. to do that. Okay. But there is a leak. Apparently a Fox crew member went to USC to give a lecture to a film class and said during that lecture, Dark Phoenix is going to be the final X-Men movie released under Fox. Ah. Then Deadpool, Fantastic Four, X-Men will be hoovered up, his words, by Kevin Feige and the Marvel Cinematic Universe in time for Phase 4. Ah. That makes sense. I mean, again, if this deal's going forward and it looks that it's going to, then yeah, you've got to bring those characters in. I hope it happens because I just, I want to know, Marvel, they got that magic touch. They made an Ant-Man film and a Guardians film. Can they make a Fantastic Four film that works? (laughs) I do want to know. Curiosity, you got me there. And we're not going to be leaving the creative forces behind Deadpool anytime soon. Leech is off now working to direct Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious spinoff movie that's coming out in August. Is that because none of the actors will work together anymore? (laughs) They just spinoffs now? The Rock and Vin Diesel, I don't think you can invite them to the same party anymore. <laughs> Who are those characters? Hobbs is The Rock. And Shaw is Jason Statham. So it's The Rock and Jason Statham in Cars. And as for Leech, he's making a movie called The Division that we will be reviewing. 
Why? Well, it's an adaptation of an Ubisoft video game starring Jake Gyllenhaal doing another Ooh. video game movie okay. with Jessica Chastain. Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, the writers of the two Deadpool movies, just finished Zombieland 2. It's perhaps going to come out next October. Didn't even see the first one. Oh, the first one's good. And Ryan Reynolds, he's making a reboot of Clue. They're remaking Clue? Yeah, and he's signed to produce and star. Oh, and don't forget about Detective Pikachu. We'll be covering that next year. <laughs> is that really happening? I think it is. Wow. If that happens, we have to watch some Pokemon movies, Arnie. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Here's the thing that's killing me, is that Clue, which I love, I put it in our book, is being written by Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Now, they did do Deadpool 1 and 2, but they're also the writers of Life, and Life sucked. <laughs> Oh, man, that movie's bad. And then Ryan Reynolds is also doing Hitman's Bodyguard 2 called The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. That's getting a sequel? Did anyone see the first one? Yeah, my whole point for bringing it up was that people don't like Ryan Reynolds when he's not playing Deadpool. It made almost $200 million on a $30 million budget. Wow. Really? In this country or worldwide? Worldwide. Okay. It made $76 million domestic on a $30 million budget. Wow, I can't believe people saw that. I can't believe you got both Sam Jackson and Ryan Reynolds for $30 million. I would have thought one of them would cost more. But there always is R.I.P.D. Mm. <laughs> and speaking of films that had to go back for heavy reshoots, next weekend we're going to be back with another theatrical release. We're not to video games again just yet. We're going to be getting to the Mortal Kombat films. But next week, Solo, a Star Wars story. I know almost nothing about the plot other than it's obviously an origin story for how Han got the Millennium Falcon. It is a gorgeous looking movie. Every time I see the trailer, I, I think that it might be, just visually speaking, the best looking Star Wars movie I've ever seen. I'm looking forward to Lando returning to the Star Wars universe. Donald Glover does look like he's doing a good role. I'm. Oh man, every time I see that trailer and he flashes that smile, they're saying Lando's pansexual. He may be making me pansexual. I love this line. You might want to buckle up, baby. I feel like he's really channeling 70s exploitation movie Billy D. Yes. So, could it be good? It could. I'm going in with a very open mind, hoping to love it. And meanwhile, this Friday, we've got another movie about a hero running from a huge group of people trying to kill him. Assault on Precinct 13, Carpenter's 1976 film. Yeah, we're kicking off our Silver Level donation series with a twofer that isn't Purge, but has some connection to it. It will be an extra. It'll be six films for $10. If you sign up for Silver Level, you're going to get Assault on Precinct 13, Carpenter style, and then the future creator of The Purge made a remake. And so that'll be next Friday. This Friday, we get the original. And then after that, we start the Purge series, three movies, and then the first Purge, which is the name of the fourth film. <laughs> Very confusing, but I promise you, it'll all make sense. And they should be some good shows. We hope you'll join us for them. So Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me, and we'll talk to you next week, bub. Today's attack was only our first salvo. Our war will rage. Your cities will not be safe. Your streets will not be safe. You will not be safe. And to my fellow mutants, I make you this offer. Join us or stay out of our way. 
Thank you for listening to the now playing X-Men Movie Retrospective Series, part of our Marvel Comics movie series. Told you if you came down this road, you would like what you found. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another movie review. The professor trusted you were smart enough to discover this on your own. He gives you more credit than I do. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as the Avengers films, Spider-Man movies, and many more, as well as reviews of other series, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, and Tron. We also have individual movie reviews, such as Avatar, Inception, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Show's over. Show's never over for us. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Oh no, finish your tweet. There you go, hashtag it. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Do I look like a man who exaggerates? You can find the link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Don't you have any decency? Where's your sense of gratitude? Do you think I have needs? I think I'm just here to be your dream grid guru? I want out of here! I want to hit the big time! If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book. Underrated movies we recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. I'd say that you sound like an infomercial, but not a good one, like Slap Chop, more Shake Weighty. Now Playing's X-Men Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. They say you're the bad guy. Is that what they say? Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Apparently we have some issues with authorities. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Ah, oh, you get the point! Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Class dismissed. Who's the feed? Are we still live? Fiance. What does Good Morning America have to do with it? Well, they were promoting Deadpool and they had an interview and they said, so you're Deadpool's fiance to Monica Baccarin. Oh, you have really gone deep on this. <laughs> Watching watch Good Morning America. America. Did you have to give him like the fourth hour of Good Morning America to get that information? I have a TiVo and a fast forward button. Wow. I just could see you with like Slurpees and tequila and wow. That's me right now. I'm recording the show with Slurpees and tequila. Tequila in the Slurpee. <laughs> All right, please continue. And thank you, Good Morning America. <laughs>
they had a Slurpee machine outside Good Morning America Monday morning giving the crowd Slurpees. <laughs> Maybe if you've had too much tequila. Mike's hard lemonade. Like, I don't think of Deadpool as being like James Bond, and I feel like maybe this would be funnier if I hadn't just seen it in Deep Blue Sea 2, but... <laughs> Deep Blue Sea 2 has a James Bond it number? Does. It's <laughs> Is the sharks dancing around? It's, you get a shark in a bikini? It's the only reason to see it. Uh, <laughs> it's really something. Yeah. Suicide Squad won an Academy Award? Yeah, for best costumes or best makeup or something. Oh my god. It had good makeup. No, the croc did. looked good. <laughs> No, he didn't. He did not. <laughs> well, you know what? I ain't going to go watch Harry Potter, so you 20-year-olds don't get these jokes. We're even there. <laughs> Guess what? You may go watch Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> We're not out of that woods. Not this year. I'm not going to like it. <laughs> not this year. I, I can, we can say that because I looked at the calendar, but one day. Think I've never seen Frozen. Not going to. You it's might. Kind of- Frozen Two is coming out <laughs> retrospective. Cyclops was there, or as Stuart called him, the guy from Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, uh, he covers his eyes in both movies. Oh, it actually is that actor. Yeah, yeah, I just it's the same it was actor. Because of the goggles. I, no, it's Ty Sheridan. I thought it was literally that he was wearing goggles. That made he looks really good with those Cyclops goggles. Let's get him for Ready Player One, where we'll cover his eyes yeah, the whole time. Yeah, I know it's the same actor. Oh, did not realize that. Um, Colossus is gay in the Ultimate X Men. That's not around anymore, though. <laughs> 